Hey, what's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast. I am Connor O'Kara. Will, rivalry week was a lot of things. It was a lot of things. Not the best for you. I feel like I kind of, um, I, I think I, I might have jinxed LSU by saying, oh, you know, is it kind of a bummer that rivalry week isn't one of your biggest rivals? <laughs> and then that happens. But of course, there were a lot of other things besides AM stunning LSU, but in which we will get to everything that happened. But Will, I, I just want to apologize because that, that one was on me. How, how are we doing right now? I'm feeling great, man. I was telling you, you know, in the pre-show, I thought we win six or seven games. So, uh, you know, it's the concept of ball don't lie. We always talk about it. that's how Tennessee felt. And I joked about it. It's like, yeah, this feels like about a two loss team. LSU feel, felt like about a three loss team. And in the SEC West, you don't get to sneak to 10 games. You know, they they won a lot of these games close. They trailed, as we talked about, in like every fourth quarter of every SEC game. And eventually, you know, it cost you. So, yeah, you know, maybe mathematically it should have cost you against an Alabama or an Ole Miss, but it ends up costing you against an A&M sometimes. Yes, it was just bizarre to watch that play out, and we'll, we'll have a full breakdown of that in just a minute and everything that, that happened with Rivalry Week. And by the way, uh, as of this recording, so we're recording this at 10, 10.20 right now on Sunday morning. We don't have any official word yet on the Auburn head coach. All we know mm-hmm. officially is that it will not be Lane Kiffin. Have some thoughts on that. Um Assuming it is Hugh Freeze, which we shouldn't assume anything. That's why we <laughs> never assume with Auburn. This never is the, Auburn is the consummate zag team. Exactly. So we will have a more in-depth breakdown of that with the midweek pod as well. So um, if you're wondering kind of why we're not digging into that as much, that is that is exactly why. Um, before we dig into everything, rivalry week related. I forgot to say this the other day. So Thanksgiving, made a little crab dip. Mm-hmm. The secret ingredient with crab dip, it's not the jumbo lump crab, which you get at Publix, of course, at your local seafood counter. It is not the uh, the buttermilk that goes into it. It is not the, the cream cheese or anything like that. My friend, it is Texas Pete. It is Texas Pete. They say give you a little tablespoon of, of hot sauce. No, 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 no. We, we go more than that. We hit the over. That is a guarantee every single time. It is the key ingredient in a great crab dip is hot sauce and specifically Texas Pete because Texas Pete has the spice and flavor that's kicking this football season up a notch. If you haven't tried the original hot sauce or their new traditional barbecue sauce, as we always say, run, don't walk, grab yourself a bottle today. Visit TexasPete.com for recipes and hot apparel, plus take 20% off your entire order with promo code Saturday Down South. That is all caps, all one word, Saturday Down South. Win big with Texas Pete when you sauce like you mean it. All right, well, um, we were talking before we came on. I'm like, do we want to start with Clemson getting stunned by South Carolina, or do we want to start with LSU uh, losing to AM? And I think just because of the, the playoff implications, we have to start with a stunner in College Station on Saturday night. Um, some cornflakes were urinated in. That's <laughs> that's a fact. <laughs> sorry. I mean, like that's that is that is reality. Down goes LSU. If this doesn't encompass the weirdness of 2022, I don't know what does. That this is this is it right here. When when people say kind of sum up the season and why this felt like just such a bizarre regular season, this game is is living proof of that. Because in a game in which LSU has all the motivation in the world to keep playoff hopes alive, they they go into AM and they were totally outmatched by a four-win AM team. Nothing was 
Baluki and AM, the team who hadn't hit 30 points against FBS competition in over a year, looked like that against that LSU defense that had appeared to have turned the corner with Matt House midseason. And all of that was just a distant memory by the end of this one. I'm going to say some positive things about, about AM first because Lord knows there haven't been many of those. If you're an mm-hmm. AM fan who hasn't listened to a podcast in like two months and this is the first one you're listening to, Welcome back. We missed Welcome you. Welcome back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you've missed a lot. A lot of other things have happened. Don't necessarily blame you for your hiatus, though. Um, if Devon A-Chain doesn't come back and play in this game, I, if Moose Muhammad doesn't figure out his beef with Jimbo. Turns uh, out that guy, uh, if I'm Jimbo, I'm telling him he's right. I'll let him park in my parking spot from now on. Yeah. That, dude, that dude's a baller. Let him have one of the ranches, just one of them, <laughs> right? It's as a treat. I, I think Devon A. might have earned himself a ranch because a lot of people are kind of wondering, myself included, all right, is, is he going to come back and play this game? Is this the type of thing where it's not an opt-out officially, but in this day and age, you kind of wonder about those guys who are draft eligible, who don't really have anything specifically to play for other than pride, other than pride and doing it you know, for your team on this stage. And Devon A-Chain was brilliant. And seeing him healthy, it makes you frustrated for him that he wasn't in a better situation this year. And Moose Muhammad making some of the catches he did, that one-handed grab that he had was mm-hmm. just ridiculous. And AM having two guys like that, a guy in the running game and a guy in the passing game, makes a big difference. And I- I'm going to give Connor Wigman a lot of credit because – I would have expected a true freshman to struggle against those pass rushers of LSU, but AM mm-hmm. protected him really well. They showed up in the trenches all night in a way that I don't really think they have all year. I think they showed up in the trenches against Bama, but that was a little bit more defensive line related. Jalen Milrow kind of getting, you know, used to some of those reps as a passer. But th- this was a great game for the Jimbo hasn't totally lost the program narrative, which the program back. <laughs> Look, man, <laughs> after UMass, I don't know. I would have said about anything is on the table. But you get some good vibes back if you're AM, and we'll kind of wait and see. It's still a five and seven season that we would expect isn't going to end up in a bowl game, and we'll wait and see on APR and all that. But mm-hmm. if you're an AM fan watching this game, you're kind of like, man, but it took this long to get this to, to look like that. That's what everybody who ranked AM number six in the country thought that they were going to get. And it doesn't change the fact that Jimbo Fisher needs a play caller, but it does kind of make you realize like, oh, this team still has talent and it was on display, even if just for one night. But man, the story of the day, sorry, and I'm fans, it's LSU having this dud. I thought you put it well talking about how this was a team that looked a little bit more nine and three ish. If you want to break down the numbers of average scoring margin against power five competition, I think it was like 3.6 coming into this game for LSU seven mm-hmm. of nine times that they played against power five competition, including this game, they trailed in the second half kind of just caught up to them, right? Mm-hmm. Like just was one of those things that I don't want to say, like we, we talk about it with Bama playing with fire, all these close games. LSU played a lot of close games and, mm-hmm. They thought they had this switch and they really didn't in this game. And instead they just got, they got blown out. It's as simple as that. They got blown out. Yeah, I think. Um, and, and one of the things that we've talked about throughout the year with the SEC West is how different each team is. Right. And I think what LSU started to do 
is, you know, once you see enough Florida's, Arkansas's, Ole Miss's that are these teams that try to spread you out east to west and they try to kind of do a little bit of trickeration, you lose the ability to prepare for a team like A&M, which is a very north and south old school football team mm. that and what they do is. You know, they're like, it's like watching the old Les Miles offense. They have bigger guys than you that are stronger, that are that are these big recruits, and they just run forward. And with LSU, if you see how they've been successful with Harold Perkins and everything, you know, the D-line is flat. You got a five-man pressure. The linebackers are kind of sitting back in coverage. And when you play a guy against a guy like A-Chain, who is a phenomenal player, we've been giving him his flowers all year and said that he deserves better than, and this is what he deserves, honestly, yeah. um, because... You know, once you get your D-line flat and you start to get greedy and try to pressure off the edge, then your linebackers are kind of on islands out there. And once a guy like A-Chain makes one guy miss, it's five, six yards every single time. And I think that that was arrogance by LSU and to not see, because I don't think L- I don't think A&M truly did anything schematically differently. I don't think they were super creative. I think they just lined up and punched LSU in the mouth. And as an LSU fan... Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's two things. Yeah, we've been playing fire. Yeah, I mean, the Jaden Daniels fumble, obviously. And and don't get me started on Brian Kelly putting him back out there for that two-point conversion that was pulled. What was that? Why did he go for two? And of course, one of my buddies that's a big analytics guy is like, well, you know the numbers say that's where you go. No. Bro, shut up. I don't, get, no. I don't care what the numbers say. Like, your quarterback is – you got to use your eyeballs. Your quarterback is wincing in pain. You got him out there running the ball. But anyway, you, you, you take all that out of there – and I, I think that what you're what you're worried about as an LSU fan isn't about this game and about how this team kind of out physical you. It's that Georgia is the successful version of this team, right? Mm, Georgia yeah. is licking their chops because there are two teams in the SEC that play football like this in this specific way. You can kind of talk about Kentucky, but they haven't been successful. You can kind of talk about South Carolina, but they haven't been successful. This is truly the we run out of the ace. We use our fullback. We go straight up and down. And A-Chain, obviously, I think is a little bit better than any of Georgia's running backs. I don't think that's, I mean, A-Chain is a phenomenal, phenomenal player. But in terms of the line play. In as terms a pure of, runner. Pure runner. As a pure I runner, yeah, yeah. Like, in terms of in space. But in terms of the whole team, in terms of the whole roster, in terms of the line, in terms of guys calling the right plays, that's obviously, you know, what Jimbo has struggled with. Georgia has been on one page. And so, you know your confidence level it's not that you lose the game it's that you lose the game to this type of team because if you go out and lay a dud against like a tennessee it's like well that's totally different from georgia this is like diet worst georgia and if diet worst georgia can run you off the field you really got to start asking some questions as far as how you prepare for a team like that well this is why i love you and this is why you're my guy okay like i i i mean that 100 sincerely because if i watch a game like that and i watch my team miss out on pl- a playoff chance I'm getting fixated on two things. I'm getting fixated on the fact that Jaden Daniels on that play where it looks like LSU is about to take over in this game. It's 17-17. Mm-hmm. They're kind of doing typical LSU things. And then just a lack of concentration on that play, which give Edrian Cooper credit, give Damani Richardson credit for another like random scoop and score. If you want to go mm-hmm. back to the Arkansas game as well, I'm fixating on that. And I'm fixating on the two-point conversion that we just brought up. And instead, you give a full breakdown of what exactly it was that frustrated LSU. And you're exactly right. You're you're 100% right. And I think that you see these last two weeks, what this is a critical reminder of an earmuff at Joel Cloud. I know you're listening. This is a reminder that if you're a top five team and you go into some of these SEC venues and it's at night Mm -hmm. and you give them just that little shred of hope, you're selling hopium, right? Mm -hmm. If you do that and you get these crowds thinking that they have a chance against a top five team, Look out, man. Look mm-hmm. out. 
because there's still those dudes and these dudes have pride and AM has dudes and South Carolina, mm-hmm. even in the shape that they were in coming into that Tennessee game, coming off of the Florida loss, they still have dudes. And you give those guys just that ounce of hope and that crowd gets in it. And all of a sudden you're like, Whoa. And for whatever reason, well, I don't know when, when this point was, I think it was, I mean, quite literally the mesh point of, <laughs> of Jay Daniels fumbling that football. That was the point in which you kind of realize, oh, this is happening tonight. Mm-hmm. That Did you have any other specific moment in which you realized that it wasn't going to be LSU's night? I think that was part of it. I was still a little bit optimistic, but when they got the ball back again and just knifed down the field, like like I said, with a, with a team like that, you either figure it out or you don't. And when it, it became clear in that moment that LSU was playing scared, and like I, I kept telling everybody, they were just too cool. They, they didn't want to get down there and play less miles old school football all night. And in that moment, when you turn the ball over like that, the, the LSU team that I thought I knew would go out there and say, all right, we got to buckle down. Because coming out of the second half, they forced two three and outs. They immediately scored. It was like, okay, this is going our way. One thing went sideways and usually this is a team that's played pretty perfect fourth quarters and you've seen that like maybe that was just kind of their mo it's like well maybe just nothing bad happened to happen you know (laughs) yeah maybe yeah maybe maybe they just got got a little bit fortunate in some of these spots and thought that they had that switch available and it it just wasn't there what it kind of sets up for is a bit of an anticlimactic sec championship no i mean i was thinking about it I mean, LSU still going to have a lot on the line. They'd still love to be able to win an SEC championship, and I'm not, I'm not taking away from that. But this is the first time since uh, I guess 2020, two loss Florida. They beat Bama. I don't know. I'd have to go back and, and really dig into that, like how realistic their chances would have been if they had beaten that Bama team to be a two loss mm-hmm. team to get into the playoff field. It was still a little bit murky because Notre Dame was undefeated at the time. AM was the one loss team who would beat Florida. So at the same time, like, so that's that's a little bit that's a little bit tricky. Maybe Florida is in that conversation in 2020, but there have not been a whole lot of SEC championships in recent memory in which there's been one team that's out of the playoff and one team that, in my opinion, is already in. And mm-hmm. Georgia's that team. So like, cause even if you want to go back 2015, that Bama team who already had the one loss and they're playing against a Florida team that's out of contention for the playoff and like Bama losing that game could have theoretically left the SEC out of the playoff field. I just, it's just rare to see a game like this in the way that it is, it is set up, but you know, they LSU now is going to have to beat Georgia to get to a new year's six bowl. That's reality. There's oh, yeah. all, is, is it weird to think there's a path to a five loss season for LSU? Because that's um, I mean, you know, they're obviously going to be big underdogs against Georgia, and it just depends on who their bowl matchup is. I would push back a little bit though, in that think about how funny it would be if LSU Georgia. <laughs> like, I know there are implications, but as we saw, this obviously is a team that did not belong in the college football playoffs. So once we got that thought, I got that thought out of my mind pretty early in the second half of this game. Fair. But do you know how funny it would be if a three-loss LSU team beat Georgia? It would be this <laughs> like, kind of the story like, year, right? Like that's that's what I keep hanging my hat on. Is like, well, I, my thoughts have it super duper changed because either way, Georgia was going to be this massive favorite. So yeah, I guess if LSU beats Georgia a week ago, like if LSU wins this game and then beats Georgia, it's like, wow, look how good LSU is. But I would counter that it would be way funnier if LSU wins the game this time. So I'm equally invested because now there's nothing to lose. Yeah. And look, like we talked about with LSU, I mean, still being at this place, representing the West, 
in an SEC championship, beating Alabama, you're one of the Kelly era. Those are things that you cannot take away from this LSU team. They deserve a lot of credit, despite the fact that Saturday night was what it was, and it was a blown opportunity. Here's something I was thinking about, and I realized this wasn't a crossover game, but a, a three-loss team is going to represent the West in an SEC championship. First time that's happened since 2002. That's how good mm-hmm. the West has been. We've only seen one East winner in the SEC championship post-Tebow era, right? I mean mm-hmm. – in Tebow's senior year, of course, Florida loses to, to Alabama in the SEC championship. And it was 2017 Georgia, who then lost to a West team, Bama, in the national championship. Mm-hmm. This should be the first time since Tebow's Gators, probably that the East has, in my opinion, a pretty strong argument to be considered better than the West. I think that's on the table. So Tennessee's going to be in the top 10. Mm-hmm. That's that's all but locked up with beating Vandy like a drum. Um, mm-hmm. South Carolina just beat Clemson. So that helps the mm-hmm. East argument even more. Um, it is eight and four. The East went eight and six against the West this year. So they have that argument. And then if Georgia wins the SEC championship, I think you would have to be able to say that the East was better than the West this year. And I don't know that that means that that's going to continue. And we know that these things obviously can change, but just for this one year, we talk about the West all the time. We say best division in college football is the East in contention for that, especially in Clemson's the Clemson win for South Carolina is a key part of this, right? Because if the third best Mm -hmm. team in the SEC East is going out there and beating what's clearly the best team in the ACC, that tells you a lot in my opinion. Like Clemson losing both of these their non-conference games to Notre Dame and to South Carolina, both their real non-conference games. Mm-hmm. Tough look for the ACC. Real tough look. And the SEC wins the ACC challenge, by the way, six to three. Florida State had two of the ACC's wins. Kind of mm-hmm. crazy to think about. But yeah, good year for the East. If you're an East fan, stand up. Flex. Yeah, listen, two things. I think you're absolutely right. I think the East is better than the West. As an SEC propagandist counter, here's what we say. The West is deeper than ever. Anybody can hang with anyone. So I'm going to just put my head on that and pretend like we didn't just get embarrassed by A&M and Tennessee. Yeah, more more parody than ever. That's <laughs> that's the new narrative. Okay, let, let's yes. talk about Hold this. On. I just want to say one thing real quick. I know I've beat this drum all year, but the fact that we are comparing LSU to Georgia and Alabama and all these teams in year one, I still think is the win here. I think that we've heard all year about first year or first year head coaches. Obviously, what Lincoln Riley is doing in the Pac-12 is a little bit different. But if you look at how guys have come in and we've heard, oh, you know, you don't have any roster. You don't have a quarterback. You don't have this and that. Brian Kelly solved all those questions months ago. And his recruiting has been awesome. And I just want to say, yeah, it's embarrassing that LSU loses, you know, their third game. Uh, this year and they go down AM. but when you put that in perspective of the narratives that we give basically every other team that takes over in their first year just want to say hats off to brian kelly you know obviously this is not what you want to see but at the same time like i said it is pretty impossible we talked talked about with tennessee like i said pretty impossible to go 10 and 2 in any version of the sec west and be this flawed team that started with 39 scholarship players so yeah it's a rebuilding year and i always said this is the worst team brian kelly's ever going to coach as they won more games that became harder to say um, but we never know. You know, Jaden looks like he might be back next year. Maybe not for that two-point conversion. I'd be mad if I was him. But point being, yeah. point being, LSU senior night had like 15 people. A lot of people are back. So True. next year, the, the real expectations start. And we've seen that LSU struggled after that Bama game with being the hunted instead of the hunter. So I think that's the one Brian Kelly question that I still have. Yeah, LSU could very well start off 
preseason five to ten, depending on what they do in the portal, depending on which guys come back. Like if, mm-hmm. if they had beaten AM and m and got to an SEC championship and even played Georgia competitively and then lost in maybe a New Year's six game, we would definitely be talking about LSU preseason top five team. Like oh, there's yeah. there's no doubt in my mind. We'll kind of wait and see the way that this plays out. Transfer portal can change a lot of those things. But yeah, you hit on something pretty important there with first year coaches. You kind of look around the landscape. Uh, between Marcus Freeman and Dan Lanning and kind of the the days and seasons that they've had promising but inconsistent I think mm-hmm. is the overriding theme with these year one coaches you can include Billy Napier in that too and beating Utah and then having the six win regular season that Florida did you could look even at Brent Venables and some of the things that they mm-hmm. did really well when they were beating Nebraska like a drum everybody's like oh wow we're sleeping on Oklahoma Connor's playoff pick wasn't totally <laughs> stupid um, that didn't prove it to be the case, of course, but that's kind of the, unless you're Sonny Dykes, who's yeah. just on another planet as a first year mm-hmm. coach right now. And he killed lock of the week single-handedly. Goodness gracious. He did um, regret that one big time. That's the theme with these year one coaches. I said, we wouldn't judge year one coaches, but I think it's fair to say ups and downs, peaks and valleys to mm-hmm. be expected with the way that it played out. All right. South Carolina goes into Clemson and don't you know it? stuns Clemson. Will, I'm going to grab my cup. I got my Mario Hazonia Magic Souvenir Cup sitting right here. Uh, you it, can man. see Let's this. toast it up. Will's got a, a, a nice little white coffee mug. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to raise a glass to Shane Beamer because, wow, unbelievable. Down goes Clemson and its playoff chances. Down goes the nation's longest home winning streak, which dated back to 2016. Down goes South Carolina's playoff era losing streak to Clemson. All of those things immediately forgotten about in one afternoon. Shane Beamer became the first South Carolina coach to ever beat AP top 10 teams in consecutive weeks. His dad, Frank, never did it. Ever. That's that's so cool. That's awesome. Really, really awesome to see that. You see a Shane Beamer post Toby Keith game is a sight. It mm-hmm. continues to be a sight. And you see him calling out Jesse Palmer. Um, lightning struck twice. And Beamer actually said in post game, he saw people saying that South Carolina caught lightning in a bottle. Buddy, I felt attacked <laughs> when he said that. Um, oh, man. Uh, Shane, I know you're listening. I- I've got some nice things to say about your team. Okay, we're going to we're going to come clean with that a little bit here. There was nothing lucky about this. Nothing. This this was a game in which Beamer Beamer's decisions made this game happen and made it feel not just like some fluky. Oh, one break here, one break there. But why South Carolina truly deserved to win this game. And here's what I mean by that. I tweeted in the first quarter after Spencer Radler threw that pick six that it was clear that lightning wasn't going to strike the same place twice. And it still did rather mm-hmm. kind of had the 2019 Mac Jones iron bowl game, right? Except unlike Mac Jones, he was able to come out on the winning side of this, like two awful, terrible, can't have it mistake interceptions, but mm-hmm. really, really good outside of that. And that was That's the safety. key. Yes. Yes. I mean, <laughs> Think about that though. That uh, that safety was okay. Yeah, that, that I guess that's two and a half. But still, even that play, you're kind of amazed that he was able to to, to not be on his feet. They called intentional grounding on that play, right? Which I don't know. That's a little bit debatable in my opinion. I thought Clemson got some pretty favorable calls in this one. Some very favorable calls. Um, yeah. But you know, 
Rattler just totally outplays DJ Uyunglele in a game in which you're kind of wondering, all right, you know, which one of these former five-star Heisman, number one overall pick quarterbacks is going to step up and kind of exercise those demons. And it was no doubt Rattler, no doubt. Mm -hmm. I said two weeks ago, Beamer should bench Rattler. Let's let's see Luke Doty. Let's mm-hmm. after the Florida game. Let's come on. What are what are we doing here? Why are we still trying to make this work? We're in the middle of November. Build towards next year. This was a great experiment. I would do it ten times out of ten. You got to get that talent in the door. But let's move on to Luke Doty. Beamer said, "Nope. I am going to mm-hmm. trust that our best football is still ahead of us. I am going to trust that Spencer Rattler is the quarterback who gives us the best chance to win." And buddy, was he right? Rattler, Juice Wells totally in sync these last two weeks that connection is second to none on a day in which marshawn lloyd was active but clearly not himself there Mm -hmm. is no way that i would have said that rattler is going to fuel that win and south carolina is going to score 30 points i'm old enough to remember when south carolina was 0 and 8 when it allowed 28 points under beamer i brought (laughs) up that stat and i'm like boom this is exactly why you need to know this and then two consecutive games against top 10 teams in which shootouts that they that they win i don't know if this felt I don't know that shootout is the right word to say it, but in the box score, it is. So that's that is is gone. And here's the crazy thing. This game could have been South Carolina by 21. Yeah. I, really? I mean, think about this. Rattler gifts them that pick six. Bad decision. Didn't see the linebacker drifting into space. Guy makes a nice play on the football. Rattler's like, oh my God, this is this is the type of stuff you can't be doing year four this stage of your career. And he also gifted Clemson that awful interception in the red zone where it looked like they were after that fourth and one play, that brilliant fourth and one call to get McDowell, where it looks like he's maybe in the end zone, he's on the goal line. And then Rattler just has that again, where you're just like not seeing that extra guy and you're kind of making up your mind. You're seeing what you want to see, right? In those mm-hmm. spots. And you're thinking to yourself, oh man, this is this is so frustrating for South Carolina because they're playing really well and doing a lot of things that you need to do to upset Clemson, but these mistakes are just going to be killer. Um, and then, oh, by the way, the the backwards pass. Did you so did you did you see this play out in real time? Yeah, I don't know why that's starting to happen. Like it feels like it's more and more common. I don't know. We're gonna get to it in the egg bowl as well. Yeah. Officials, I'm going to give you a PSA right now, okay? Uh, Turn turn the volume up. Any official listening to this in your car, Beamer, turn this down. You've probably dealt with enough frustration thinking about this play. Officials, stop ruling backwards passes dead. Stop it. Stop it. What You rule all of these things. Oh, play on, play on, play on. And in, in a play in which we can clearly see, you've got all these officials who are ruling these passes that are at best borderline, but pretty clearly backwards passes, they're ruling them dead. And instead you have these, you have this thing in football. What gets me so fired up watching football sometimes and so annoyed is that there will be a play in which a quarterback throws from like, they're like 10 yards back in the pocket or something like that. And they throw the ball and it lands maybe behind the line of scrimmage, but it's like very obviously a forward pass. And then you have like defensive players going after the ball. Like it's a loose ball. I'm like, what, what are we doing here? This is, that's a forward pass. There's no rule about behind the line of scrimmage. Like that, that's not the way that that works. And instead those plays don't get whistled dead, but these plays in which you have all these swing passes 
that are like, what, what are we doing? So if you didn't see this play out, Clemson very clearly, very clearly has this backwards pass. And South Carolina makes a clear recovery and would have had a walk-in touchdown. And instead, not only do they rule it dead, but they say there's no definitive proof on the replay that it was a backwards pass. Get out of here with that crap. That is horrible. Mm-hmm. And you're costing teams six points in pivotal games in which Shane Beamer's got millions of dollars on the line. All right? You cannot make that it's mistake. Shane Beamer. You almost took his Shane Beamer away from him. <laughs> I love that you keep going back to that. It's only the second time, but it did happen. So we may have to cash in on that. That's true. Yes, he may. He might just get himself a Shane Beamer. Uh, it just drives me nuts. It absolutely drives me nuts. And I'm glad that this game wasn't decided on that. And it didn't deserve yeah. to be. And that would have sucked if that had happened. But why Why is this game just exactly the type of, of game that Beamer was hired to win? Beamer ball. It's Beamer ball, man. Those punts. Kai Kroger, best punter in the nation. Best yeah. punter in the nation automatic pete lembo uh, if he got the royals award i wouldn't hate it honestly <laughs> he's I mean, they, they're awesome they they don't miss field goals they get these punt blocks and i know they didn't necessarily get that in, in this game but they, they they make all these big time plays and special teams and just make life life easier on themselves in some of these spots and that's how they're able to overcome some of these mistakes and that is Beamer and Lembo prioritizing special teams and truly prioritizing it and not just saying that as some throwaway line in a press conference because it sounds good you see South Carolina's sideline when Kai Kroger puts one inside the five which he was basically doing all day on Saturday their sideline erupts they go bonkers you can tell that that means so much to south carolina and they understand why it's so pivotal in a game like that and to me that that makes all the difference and that's why south carolina has been able to do some of these things and keep these guys engaged when man it didn't look like they were going to be for a while but we talk about how do you change the narrative of your program win a monster game and do it on the road mm-hmm. do it on the road like this tip of the cap raise it raise the glass Whatever you want to say to follow that Tennessee game up the way that they did, man. Cheers, South Carolina. You deserve to enjoy that one for a while. That that win, I think, is better than the Tennessee win. I really do. Think about that. So I think that we talked about complete wins with Florida, right? I think that this is a very complete win, weirdly, because this win pretty much was a proof of concept that South Carolina is like way better than Clemson. Because, like, to your point, they had a pick six. Right. There was obviously the safety. It was kind of thin half. So it's not like they got a free possession off of it. But still, I mean, there were turnover, there were fumbles, like everything that you would think could derail a team. And to your point, they were on the road. And that was one of the things like like we talked about ranking the upsets. This is one that I definitely said I could see, but like it I never would have projected it like this. Same. Because to that point, it's like, yeah, it seemed like they were a different team at home and on the road. And that's what we told ourselves about Tennessee and why they just molly up Tennessee. If this game was played in South in, in Columbia. They would have won this game by 30 as well, because at the end of the day, everything went against them. You talked about the weird call, like everything that when you like you imagine the guy walking out of the bar. I've been that guy. It's like, well, you know, if that call hadn't gone our way, well, if that fumble hadn't gone our way, well, that pick hadn't gone our way. They couldn't get the rushing attack started. 
right? Which is how we would have to say they would win this game. Shorten the clock. Their, bre- their bread is buttered with Marshawn Moore, Jaheim Bell. Neither of those guys really, truly got going. You know what I'm saying? And Spencer Rattler had turnover problems. You know what I'm saying? He still had bad turnover problems, but he just did just enough. And that's what it shows to me is like, this is not some fluky win. Like there are so many of these where it's like, oh, well, you know, last second field goal could have gone either way. For this one, it's like, honestly, and I say this honestly, after looking at this and seeing all these stats, Clemson got lucky to only lose this game by one. Right. Should have blown them out. And this should have been the even better than the Tennessee moment, to your point. Like, you have to know football to know how bad of a game this was for Clemson. Whereas, like, Tennessee is like 63 points. This one's like, no, dog. They should have had another 60 burger. And they got, because when you get punched in the mouth, like we just talked about with LSU, it's way different. When you're playing against Tennessee and everything is going your way and you're up big and you just got to keep the lead. There were so many points when a a non-well-coached team completely collapses at Clemson. And we've seen it with Syracuse this year. We've seen it with every team that goes in. Yep. You talked about we, they haven't beaten the top five team at home because they don't play anybody at home. These teams go in there to die in Death Valley because they aren't any good and they get suffocated by Dabo. And you look at Beamer and he's like, I grew up in these coaches' office. I probably know Dabo. I'm yeah. not scared of you, dog. And like I talked about it whenever like they had their first big one like this. I think it was Kentucky. No, it was A&M. And I was like, who do you want to play for right now if you're one of these swamp monsters from South Carolina? Because they got enough of them on the roster right now to lose a couple, I understand. But do you want to get screamed down the sideline by Jimbo? Or do you want to have just riding the Frank Beamer? Or sorry, the Shane Beamer. My the bad. Shane Beamer. <laughs> riding the Shane Beamer. Because right now it's like win or lose, this team's going to have fun. You know, even against, you know, when they're getting blown up by Georgia, it's like, I believe in these guys. I believe in this locker room. I'm not throwing players under the bus. That's how you build a culture. And I'm just in love with it, man. I, I'm so high on them right now. Okay, so here's the question. You set me up for this. For the next five years, would you rather have stock in Beamer or Dabo? It's now a question. It's at least a question. And for those saying that this is way too much of a knee-jerk reaction, you bring up some of the some of the key points here and why I think Clemson having that deflating loss when Dabo doubles down and says, I'm going to do in-house promotions for my mm-hmm. coordinators. I'm not going to listen to the transfer portal way of 2022. I'm going to stick with DJ Uyunglele. I'm going to dig my heels in even deeper. And then you see Beamer with Spencer Radler and Juice Wells, these transfers, come into his house and do something that hadn't been done in six years. I mean, and by six years, I just mean Clemson losing at home. And... <laughs> I mean, that to have that happen, like, I, I don't know. I don't know, man. Like, that's at least a question right now. And that has never been a question for South Carolina since since Spurrier was there. I mean, think about that. Like, that since 2012, 2013, that's the last time we could actually ask this question because we weren't asked this question with much yet. No, no way. for sure. Never yeah. at any point. And now it's it's on the table, and that is how you change the narrative of your program. And you're right. I mean, Beamer deserves immense credit for it. We we rarely see, and I was trying to think if there's any examples of this with a team doing what South Carolina did, which was, as you would say, and the kids would say, just unbelievably mid for most of the season. <laughs> yeah, facts. Well, Lawrence told me I shouldn't be using that. I shouldn't be trying to slip that into conversation, but now I think I'm addicted to it. Uh, It's bad. Uh, But to do what they did for most of the year and to have these last two regular season games, I mean, well, you know what this means, right? The good vibes team. Good vibes team. I was about to say. Yeah. They're a win. They need, they need to win a bowl game. You you can't, uh, winning a bowl game is a definite prerequisite for the ultimate good vibes team in college football. 
but they're the leader in the clubhouse right now. I mean, regardless of the decisions that are made with Rattler, with Satterfield, how about those conversations now? <laughs> Satterfield <laughs> might be getting the ring. <laughs> I mean, Satterfield goes from like, don't let the door hit you on the way out. We'll pay whatever buyout to please stay. Are you worthy of like $1.8 million a year? Rattler, the way that he has shown, like regardless of what happens the rest of his career, Spencer Rattler will always be associated with these two games. And that's awesome for him because that's better than anything he had in his entire time at Oklahoma. I mean, not even close. Think about it. Cause the best year that he has is 2020 in which Oklahoma is out of it early with those losses. And then their best game was like the Florida game and the bowl, like the bowl game and the cotton bowl where, you know, it's limited fans and it's not even in front of the home crowd. And like, this is what Spencer Rattler came to South Carolina to do. And Shane Beamer stuck with him and gave him those opportunities. But yeah, those two guys right now, just the undertaker gift. That's what they are. <laughs> this one. It's crazy. No, dude, to your point, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's I always talk about systemic recruiting and how they in the aggregate that's really helpful. Clemson's obviously got that, but to your point, they have been hesitant to change. They have we talk about adapt or die right now they're dying they're truly yeah. dying you play nobody i'm not being mean but you play nobody you, you and you lose two games notre dame look clearly better than you clemson or south carolina look clearly better than you so you can't just sit there in the acc and just out recruit everybody and line the ball up and win anymore you don't have you know watson or a trevor lawrence who's going to come in there and make these individual plays in that very stodgy offense that has gotten i mean I just, we see it kind of at Virginia now with Tony Elliott. It's like that offense was never any good. They just had great players. And I'm not being mean, but like you look at how those players have done since they've left and they've gotten better and look at how the offense has gotten, it's gotten worse without them. And just, you know, talking about it, you know, recruiting, you can get over that with transfers as we always talk about. And Beamer has been the new fun guy who's opened the door to the new way of life. And that's how you, that's how you even that out. And and I know he's not one, but I just want to also shout out at the lad Juice Wells. He's been playing out of his mind. He has been so good. Obviously Spencer Adler is the number one MVP, but Juice Wells is one A. Um, and yeah, if you look at the vibes coming in, man, it's the fact that, yeah, you don't have to recruit. You don't have to, or sorry, you do have to recruit. You don't have to out recruit Clemson because you've now proven, like we talked about, it can be an asset that, that South Carolina's quarterback tradition is not so good because you're not going in there getting compared to Tebow, Cam Newton, Joe Burrow. You're getting in there compared to Steven Garcia, just to be honest, or Tanny Hill or whatever. Shout out and, Garcia. Yeah. Right. And we love him. You know, we love those guys. Those are lads, but you can be Spencer Rattler and win two games and immediately get to the Pantheon. And that's what I'd be selling. Maybe Rattler comes back. Maybe he leaves. Maybe this put him over the edge to leaving because he's playing so well. Who knows? Maybe. But the, ne the next guy, you can say, hey, you know, you win three, four big games here. You're the GOAT. And you see all these fans respond to that. I think it's a great pitch, man. Yeah. And the patience shown, that's such a key thing because there's not patience. There's not patience like that. And there are, I, I would venture to say, there are not a lot of power, power five programs that would have stuck with Rattler as long as South Carolina did with the struggles that they have in the quarterback history that you mentioned. That's, that's such a key mm -hmm. part of that. It really is. So Beamer's extension, if I'm guessing... <laughs> And it's big, man. Like these last two weeks have been a game changer. I was originally thinking that he was probably going to get an extension after year two. And depending on how it played out in these last three games, he's going to be like kind of a $5 million base pay type of guy, which that's the going rate in this day and age in college football for the power five coaches. I think he's going to be in like the $7 million annually range. I do. I really like he, like him making one of these seven year, $50 million contracts is something mm -hmm. that, is like look if you have your guy you you do whatever you can to give him that money and, and to to try and keep him on board like that's sorry as much as we get frustrated with athletic directors and buyouts and and the way that these contracts like are so look so desperate it's because of stuff like this that we get to those points and when we're in the moment we're kind of like 
what, what would South Carolina fans pay right now to know right. that th- that's a possibility every single year with Shane Beamer, right? Like they, they would pay a lot of money for that. And the, the price of what Beamer has brought to the South Carolina program. I mean, we're also living in a world in which Kentucky and Ole Miss are now paying coaches between eight and $9 million in base pay. So South Carolina paying 7 million is like, ah, you know what? I get it. <laughs> Makes sense. Yep. Right. No, so. how about that? And like, I always joke about my favorite thing about college football is watching just like a coach get the coins knocked out of him. Like Sonic when he loses, like, Oh my gosh, we're going to lose our recruits. We're going to jump out of the top 10. We're going to do all this stuff. You know, LSU just did it yesterday. I get it. But when you lose, it's this big deal. And like with the portal guys can leave and everything. This is the opposite of that. It is to your point. Now you can go in, you know, call up Darius Rucker, get the NIL collective going say, Hey guys, look, we're building something here, put in money and you're going to get more yep. than that out of it. And that's, to, for a fan base that truly has been sold hopium since Spurrier left, you know, Muschamp and, you know, all of these guys coming in that's like, maybe this will be the guy, maybe this will be the guy. It's like, you've seen that the two, the, the biggest thing is being a team like Tennessee and beating Clemson specifically. And you've done both of those. So at this point, maybe your financial, maybe your finances away. Maybe if you just get to that next level of funding, then you can be competing for second place in the SEC East. And then maybe you're in striking distance of Georgia. So it's all, you know, big, slow climb. And you're just trying to avoid that big drop. And right now they're on the up and up, man. Agreed. Agreed. hundred percent. Okay. Um, we're talking about lane a minute ago. Oh, yeah. Um, let, let's talk, let's talk some egg bowl here. Oh, yeah. A lot, a lot of layers to this, a lot of layers, like an onion, like an onion. It was rough weekend for John Sokoloff. Sokoloff. I think maybe this is one of your people, Connor, this spot you got, he's like an Iowa offensive tackle name. Uh, no, I don't know that he's somebody I'm going to be going to bat for. Uh, no facts. Yeah, I'm just saying no. the name. He's a he has a very northern name. Anyway, that's is it is a northern name. John Sockler, yeah. maybe a little bit. Okay, all right, we'll go to bat for him. Uh, Lane just dunked on him. All oh week. yeah, all week. I, you know the gif with uh with Shaq dunking on Chris Dudley that goes viral where Shaq like throws it down and then he oh, pushes yes. him. I mean it's oh, yes. that, that that's basically what what happened here. Um, with Lane not taking the Auburn job after it was reported from John that that was going to be happening and that he was going to resign from his position at Ole Miss on Friday. And look, I'm I'm on record saying I thought Lane was going to take the Auburn job as well. So I'm I'm also not out here reporting that that's fact and that's absolutely going to happen. That's a little bit of a difference between a prediction and a confirmation of reports, which is what John did. And then he tried to like double down on it on Saturday with a statement. It was just like, oh boy, what are... There was a material change, blah, blah, blah. It's like you just didn't have your information right. Like sometimes you just got to think the that out. played a factor. Do you honestly think maybe Lane was mulling it over and you saw the news get leaked? He's like, I'll show you. You know, there was a there's a small part of me that if there's <laughs> anybody, if there's anybody in college football who would do something like that, it's Lane, right? That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I'm, I'll, I'll say that. I do think, though, I, I do think that more of this was seeing how Ole Miss would respond. How, right. how are they going to respond kind of with their backs against the wall? Would they recognize we need to start raising a lot of NIL money? Because from what mm-hmm. I was told from when Chris Lowe went on the next round and talked about Auburn having a collective 10 times as much as Ole Miss, um, let's just say that that, that made its way up the food chain um, in Oxford. And that mm-hmm. that caused a stir. 
And seeing stuff like that, which look, Ole Miss has been very public about getting their collective together. And in this day and age, you have to understand the importance of that. And if you don't, you're on the behind. And even programs like Kentucky are talking about this nonstop. And Mark Stoops is campaigning for their collective. And Vandy's out here making public statements about their collective. If you do not have your ducks in a row right now, you're behind and you're trailing. And Lane doesn't want to be trailing. Say what you want about the decisions that he made in the Egg Bowl. Say what you want about the decisions he's made against elite competition, but he recognizes that that's very important and he's a hundred percent right. I wonder if Lane looked at this situation and said, okay, Ole Miss kind of did what I wanted him to do. Maybe there was this ultimatum. Maybe there was this indecisiveness and seeing that response made the difference. And, you know, if you see kind of what came out, I think it was, it was Pete Thamel was talking about, you know, Lane really wanted to, to stay because his family absolutely loves Oxford. And you know what? Good for Lane, like good for Lane for, you know, reportedly making this decision because of family and saying that I want to actually establish some roots, a guy that, hasn't been at a place more than four years since USC. I mean, think about that, like all the moving his family's done all across the country. And, and Mm -hmm. clearly if Lane didn't like it in Oxford and you wouldn't see his son Knox waving the fire extinguisher thing and dapping up Will Rogers and cleanest dap ever for Mm -hmm. a kid under 12 years old, I think. Let's not well, count out Drew Brees' kids. Now those kids got some, they've been growing up in locker rooms, but I think that's definitely on the Mount Rushmore. Like th- that, that dap was too clean. Like I, I'm, oh, I, yes. I'm, I'm now officially like, all right, that kid, he's got it too figured out. If he's dapping up people that clean in that spot. Uh, very, very mm-hmm. impressed to see that. But yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to say good for lane, um, which the, the contract that he was, that he reportedly agreed to, it kind of bucks the whole four year deal for the state employee thing, because now with the way that they have this trust set up, they can now offer more than these four year deals. So Lane is not going to be making like 9 million bucks a year at Ole Miss, mm-hmm. which gosh, go tell 2006, 2006 Will or 2006 Connor that there's going to be an Ole Miss football coach in the year 2022, making 9 million bucks a year. Like what? Man. I mean, that's in, like 2007 when Saban becomes the first $4 million man in college football and everybody freaks out and there's all these thought pieces <laughs> of college football's getting out of whack. Now the Ole Miss coach is making more than two times as much as that. So let's be clear. They were kind of right. This is a little bit out of whack, yeah. but it's very, very fun. So I'll, I'll just side with it. But yeah, yes, it is crazy. Uh, but yeah, it was a, a wild, wild weekend uh, to see the way this played out and, and to see this kind of happen. Um, in real time, which again, how many coaches are are having this play out in real time to turn ultimately turn down a job? It would have been just unbelievably savage if after all this, Lena ends up accept, accepting the Auburn job. Um, yep, uh, that would have been really, really awkward, and there would have been riots in the street. I'm not quite at Tennessee levels, <laughs> yeah. but. Oh, it would they were throwing natties been. in the stadium. They had a lot of pent up rage, Cotter. Oh, were those well, those were natties that they were throwing? I yeah, it was either a natty or a bush. It kind of had those little mountains on it. Same thing. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I, I just I just want to say real quick, you know, I'll, I'll give Lane a lot of credit. You know, I've been really hard on him in terms of not wanting to be clear about his intentions. And I honestly, I'm a big you know man. My word, we talked about that during the beef episode. I will give Lane more credit now, even coming off of three straight losses than honestly ever before. If he, mm. if he continues to stay at Ole Miss, let's be honest. If he does the the zigzag, then that's, I mean, worse than he was before. But but if he, he the fact that he truly came out and refuted that stuff, that they got this stuff on the table, um, I think I seriously want to say, you know, if you're, it's what I always say, would you rather win the game or would you rather win the battle of the war? These three games have been battles. Keeping Lane has been the war. 
Second side of that is, you know, what if you're Mike Leach and then you beat Lane and you see all this stuff come out about the eight year deal and you're like, I thought we could only do four year deals, guys. <laughs> you know, that's a great like, point. Y'all fed me this line about these four year deals. I thought me and Lane were the same. Come on, bro. I just Mike, beat him. <laughs> Mike, we can only do four years. We can't make this happen. Yeah. I guess I just got to kind of bury that take then and bury that that's not a, not a possibility. I was talking to Ryan Brown. Uh, of the next round about this a little bit ago. And he was saying like, yeah, the way that this is set up now with this trust, they can, they can essentially give you that money, even though you can, you can say like four years is through the state. And then the other four mm-hmm. years, like the agreement doesn't have to be tied strictly to that, which I don't know how that works at a public university. I'm not smart enough to be able to break those contracts down, but mm-hmm. that's a thing. That is apparently a thing. And you know what? It's probably a good thing that that's not holding the state of Mississippi back in the year 2022 with the <laughs> money that's being exchanged at the college level. Like that would be, that'd be terrible. So it begs the question, what jobs would Lane leave for? Ah, because that list just got shorter. It okay. did. It, like everybody's saying like, Oh, you know, he wants to replace Saban at Alabama. Call me crazy. I think that would kind of suck. Oh no. Why, why would you want to replace the goat? Why? I don't Especially get that. that type of dude too. Like he, if he was Dabo, like if it was like, oh, I'm dude from Alabama, I get it here. I, you guys are gonna embrace me as one of you. But Kiffin, it was like an up and down relationship, just because he's not really the Saban mold guy. You know, he's not Mister Prem and Proper. He's not Mister you know business program. Blah blah blah. If you come in after Saban, you're him, and you don't immediately do as well. It's like I miss Saban. He used to have these boys organized yeah. and ready to play. You know. He, and he knows that. And Kiffin, having yeah. been there, kind of understands that that dynamic. So I, I just kind of think that list of schools just just shrinks a little bit. And uh, like mm-hmm. I just keep thinking of the 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 potential Saban replacement and all the Ron Zook comparisons I'm just going to have in the holster for for Ron Zook replacing Spurrier of Florida, of course. But yeah, like it's it's a really difficult thing to do. And even if you want to look at Ryan Day right now at Ohio State replacing Urban Meyer and some of the things that are being said about a guy that's lost two games in the regular season since he's been there. I mean, like, goodness gracious. Like, that's – it's not an easy thing to do. And we we kind of, you know, losing twice to, to Michigan in consecutive years for the first time in, you know, however long, whatever the case may be. It's just like it is not easy to replace a, a legend. And I, I don't know that that conversation is going to really get going for a very long time. We'll, we'll be interested to see that. But as for the actual game, because this game – I, I love the Egg Bowl. Everybody knows that. I love the fact that it's a, oh, yeah. a true standalone rivalry game in college football. It's just so, so unique, so rare. Mm-hmm. Give Mississippi State all the credit. They, oh, yeah. They kept fighting in this game. I thought Zach Garnett's defense, once again, delivered a very impressive performance. And the fact that Ole Miss didn't even get 80 rushing yards in this game in those conditions with it raining, like, Mississippi State showed up and they were ready to go on the roll on the road, despite the fact that they had a lot of moments in this game in which you're kind of like, oh boy, this is this can get ugly in a hurry. Yet mm-hmm. they got an extremely favorable um missed call on the backwards pass. <laughs> Very favorable because if you blow it dead. Guys are going to stop going to the ball, and you can't then retroactively say, oh, yeah, this guy recovered this. And that's what Lane was so upset about yep. was the fact that, okay, if you blow it dead, you can't then just be like, oh, well, Jet Johnson clearly recovered the football. It's like, well, guys, stop moving for the football. That, that's, yep. 
this is a rule that you know this will shock you as a saints fan i've had explained to me three different times that this exact same thing has happened to the saints where they've fallen on a ball and the refs blew it dead and it was like well you couldn't tell and i was sitting there going you know i've seen this rule i know how this rule works there's no way because to your point the play played out for like a full five or six seconds the receiver was like staring at the ball didn't even make a move for it and the mississippi state guy just goes hmm and falls on it yeah And it, but it was whistled dead. And, and it was sh- it was a backward pass, to be clear. Yes. It should have been a fumble. It was definitely Correct. a fumble. So but I don't I won't feel too bad because boy, the old boy threw a backwards pass. So, like, whatever. You know, sometimes ball don't lie, like we talk about. And then they're trying to say inadvertent whistle or whatever like that. And it's like, okay, what, what do you – you mess this up at every possible turn. And yep. then there is a bit of the ball don't lie with the Will Rogers fumble, the way that played out the goal oh. line. You can kind of argue – I can't remember if it was uh, – who was it? I think it was – was it Marks, I think, who – who looked like he got in on the play before, then they rolled that mm-hmm. he was down on the goal line, whatever the case. So, yeah, I mean, this did maybe even out to a certain extent, but I, I just liked how Mississippi State just kind of kept playing. They they flew to the football. They mm-hmm. they looked – those those veterans with Tyrus Wheat, with Emmanuel Forbes, Jet Johnson, like those guys are just kind of everywhere. And Randy Charlton deserves a lot of credit for breaking up the shovel pass and the two-point conversion. A lot mm-hmm. of credit. Let's Let's talk about that. Yeah. We play the results with every two-point conversion or fourth down attempt. We do. That is mm-hmm. that is our nature. Twitter's a great place to be able to do that and to say, I would have called this, I would have called that. Lane knows he's responsible for that, right? Like we could talk all we want about Charlie Weiss Jr. being kind of part of the play calling dues. This is still a head coaching decision in that moment with the game on the line, a rivalry game on the line. And to have that play, the way, it, the way that it played out the way that it did was tough for Lane and here's why. It wasn't simply the shovel pass, wherein a defensive player made a phenomenal play, Randy Charlton, to save the game. My problem was that with less than 90 seconds left, you can't burn two timeouts to dial that look up. You can't. What what are and I get it, you wanna you wanna try and react and you can see what the defense is trying to do to you and all these different things, but Lane is basically just saying, yeah, it's just, this is the play. And I'm not even give myself any outs. You didn't have to do that. You could have had outs in this game to get a three and out and then get the football back, which you would have had three timeouts. Instead, you put it all on that. uh, I just, I did not like that. The burning of timeouts where I I thought it was Mississippi State calling these timeouts. And then I'm like, wait a minute, this this is Lane (laughs) doing this? That is, it was bad late game management. And they've struggled with some of these spots in short down and distance, you know, goal to go, whatever these types of situations, but you just didn't need to put it all on that play. And it's a little bit different and correct me if I'm wrong here. I think this is a little bit different to call that play than it is like a quick slant or even a goal line fade, which say what you want about goal line fades <laughs> as hated as those are, at least in those scenarios, you can say, my guy is going to go up and make a play against your guy. Mm-hmm. Why the shovel pass failed was because, one defensive lineman showed discipline and that's all it took for that play not to have a chance at all. And it's the same reason why you don't see a screen called in that spot, right? Because it's like, okay, if one, if one dude snuffs this out, that's it. And there's three or four guys who can kind of make a play in that spot where if they're not fooled, it's just toast. And it's not my guy versus your guy. It's, Oh, I think I'm smarter than you. And Lane and Charlie Weiss jr. They banked on being the smartest guys in the room, and they were not in that spot. And it was arrogance in that play call that I think really cost them a chance to be able to win that game. I thought that was just a a, a clear coaching mistake from Lane Kiffin. No way about it. Yeah, I think. Okay, so 
Ole Miss fans. I have been riding hard for you all year. I've been saying you deserve better than how Lane has uh, treated you. Look at that. You got a ring on it. You're good to go. Like I said, you won the <laughs> you, you won the war of this season, even if you lost these games. So now I'm about to be mean because like I just said, the big, the big picture is on your side. So here's the deal. If you're going to tell me this team was at home in the pouring rain, I'm talking about can't see your hand in front of you, so rain that shows up on camera. I had to explain that to my mom. I was like, no, no, rain never shows up on camera. When you see rain on camera, it means it's so it bad. It's coming those guys, down. Those guys yes. can't see their hands. Like It's like, so you're playing at home against an air raid team. You have Judkins. You have this great rushing attack. Dual threat, Jackson Dart le- legend. And you have decided to, to your point, be a little bit too smart. You get to the goal line. In the red zone, sorry, you get to the red zone five straight times, come out of there with, what, three field goals, no. uh, a fourth down pass to J.J. Pegues, which I love me some J.J. Pegues. Yes, we, we do. Shout out that thick king. He's in the early running for lad of the week. Good for him. Don't want to be throwing the ball to your best defensive tackle on, you know, gotta have it play on fourth down. Like, it worked, okay, but then they come right back and they don't get the next fourth down. So you get out of those five trips with three field goals and one fourth down touchdown and, and then zero points on the next one. And it's like, guys, this is a game situation that has completely been given down from the Egg Bowl gods. This is, you're going to beat Leach again. You're going to run the ball down their throats over and over and over again. Jackson Dart is not even going to have to get off his pretty little butt to win this game. And he has 38 passing attempts. You know what I'm saying? Oh. What are you doing? You, Will Rogers had 39 and you had 38. That is not who you fundamentally are. And the thing that we were talking about, me and you, Connor, is if you're going to air air the ball out in the rain, air that B word out. Okay. Go yep. shoot that down the field. And lo and behold, look how they scored. Okay. I said they need to run the ball out of the shotgun, do this trick ration. They didn't want to do that. But I said you got to run the ball and then hit them deep. And how did they score that touchdown, Connor? RPO to a deep nine route. You know what I'm saying? Because they suck the defense in. That's what happens when you're playing in the rain, dog. That's like I'm not being like a jerk about this. It's not obvious, but you got like we were, jo- we were joking about the fans throwing bush lights on the field. Like you're in this environment that so badly wants you to succeed, and you're sitting there and you're Lane Kiffin, and you're like, okay, guys, don't worry. I'm smarter than everyone in this building. And that right there is why I think Ole Miss is literally a perfect spot for him going forward. And I've said that forever because those are the tendencies that he needs to work out of his system before he can be on that Nick Saban, Kirby Smart level because when you got to hire people and trust them and you got to not be the guy who's like oh yeah no we somehow miraculously got here to the goal line time to call a screen pass which to your point it's a change of pace play because even if a guy falls down on a screen pass you've made the defense defend that screen pass but when you have to have that play it's a horrible look because to your point it's it's predicated on guys making mistakes in two yards Yes, exactly. And, and you've seen those those issues plague them all year. Mm-hmm. It's what's kept them from being a really, really good team because they've mm-hmm. gotten into those spots before. And man, it's just so frustrating in the game planning to see Jackson Dart every time he throws the ball, it's between 10 and 15 yards. Wait, it's either 10 or 15 yards or it's a swing pass. It's nothing else. Yep. Absolutely oh, nothing way, else. Dudkins had an attempt, so they actually had the same amount of attempt. <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, uh, just just bizarre. Uh, I, I thought they kind of overthought this uh, to a certain extent. And credit to Lou Griffin, man, that the key play of that game was him preventing Otis Reese from the scoop and score to oh, hustle man. back 
that play was monumental. And when that happened, I'm like, circle that one. That mm-hmm. that that play could be the difference in this game. And it, and it took seven points off the board for Ole Miss in a game in which Ole Miss did the things that we talked about in the, in the preview pod. They got the pressure on Will Rogers, and they have mm-hmm. this strip sack on him. And you're doing exactly what you hope. And to that's that's the type of recognition that you need. And that those things in rivalry games that can come down to that one play, man, that that is so so important. So yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was it was really interesting to kind of see the way that this played out and see that Mississippi State in conditions that really weren't built for them at all just kind of stuck with it. They outran Ole Miss uh, rainy day in Oxford. Like that, yeah. that's not supposed to happen. And I mean, if you want to do the play the results thing and say that Ole Miss kind of falling apart is the byproduct of Lane being on Twitter on Tuesday night or whatever, <laughs> on Monday night, whatever the case may be, and that he's, you know, he was too worried about that. And it was a distraction all week. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I, I think Ole Miss had some issues. I think we documented those issues and what they were. And if a couple of things are decided one way or another, that kind of makes or breaks the game. But I mean... The guy who started 20 and 0 with a halftime lead at Ole Miss, right? Mm-hmm. They brought that set up in the LSU game. And then what has he done three times in the last, what, five weeks? Blown a halftime lead, blew a halftime lead at LSU, blew a halftime lead against Bama, blew a halftime lead in this game. Uh, not great. Not great if someone as stubborn as Leach is better than you are at making adjustments in a game. Um, real quick, on, can we? One one quick thing I want to bring up on Leach, and we got a lot of other stuff to get to because I know we're going long at the spot. I know we are. Leach needed that one. Oh, yeah. He knew he needed that one. He did. Couldn't be 0-3 against Lane. Could not fall to 0-3. Couldn't be 7-5 and in the regular season with a team this experience because they're going to lose a lot of guys on that defense. And now they're eight and four. They're probably going to be ranked going into bowl season. They've got a legitimate shot to to finish with nine wins this year, which they've only done that four times in the 21st century. I, I think that Leach had a huge exhale moment to be able to survive this one, to win on the road in that fashion in this game. That was uh, very pivotal, very pivotal with his new boss coming into town. Just Remember that because those are the types of moments that can kind of make or break you and can, you know, be, be what gives you that extension or, you know, and I know he just got an extension, but that could be something that his new boss very much um, appreciates that, that he was able to to take care of. Any other thoughts on this one before we go to the Friday night showdown in Tallahassee? No. Yeah. I think that about wins it. I'm so pro. I hope that Cohen keeps Leach there because now we have unlocked the best meme potential, which is Lane versus Leach for a long time. I just want it forever. forever. Wait, Cohen keeps Leach there? Oh, not is it Cohen? No, he switched. Sorry, that's I was thinking about the, the guy. Who's the new AD? My bad. Where there's, I think they're still in the process of hiring a new AD, if I'm not mistaken. Oh well, there you go. There you go. Sorry, whoever the the new AD will be, hopefully we'll keep Leach there for a while because I love that matchup. And if I just spaced on that, it's because I'm working on limited sleep and went to watch like a billion hours of football over the course of three days. So don't blame me if I missed if I forgot who the Mississippi State Athletic Director was. All right. Don't hey, I made that mistake. You caught me. Appreciate you. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's go to the game Friday night. Florida, Florida State, just a thriller. Uh, Florida State ends up winning this game that went down to the wire. This game, though, was a perfect microcosm of Florida season. That's what it was. 
Incredible start for Anthony Richardson, just like Utah. You're seeing these chunk plays. Florida's looking up for the challenge. You're talking about Anthony Richardson, future top five pick. Gosh, they find a nickel for every time they're talking about that on some sort of broadcast <laughs> or a halftime show. I'm like, oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. But then we're reminded of a few things. One is that Anthony Richardson is wildly inconsistent. It didn't help him that five of their best receivers were out for this one. So the depth that we talked about coming into this year, they had questions about. Yeah, they had major. <laughs> They had five of these guys out. Yeah. I mean, it was like Ricky Pearsall and nobody else. Right. I mean, you I was like, to say he was there, but like, I, yeah, you're right. I didn't really recognize another guy. Yeah. Good point. I'm like, I'm like, who are these tight ends that, that he's throwing? Who are you people? <laughs> like, did you walk on this week? I, I right. have no idea. Uh, but Richardson going 36 minutes in this game without a completion, 36 minutes of game time, about two hours of real time, right? Over two hours of real time in which he did not complete a pass. That's just a reminder, in my opinion, of why he needs more developing at the college level. They're not going to figure that out in the NFL, all right? That's mm-hmm. that's not going to happen. It's like when you go to when you go to college and you're the high school student that makes these very elementary mistakes and you just like never show up to class. And it's like, okay, if you if you don't show up to class and you make these mistakes in high school when there are those limited expectations, do you think you're going to show up to class in college? No, like that's, that's just not going to happen for you. And you're probably gonna be like, Oh, that was a waste of money. And mm-hmm. Richardson, if he ends up going to the NFL draft and being one of the first quarterbacks off the board, in my opinion, he would be a waste of money at this stage of his career, at this mm-hmm. stage of his development. And if you didn't see that play out, you're just telling yourself that you were not watching this game on Friday night. You were not watching Anthony Richardson throughout the year. You're picking and choosing the highlights that you want. Mm-hmm. Florida should have turned into a service academy. They should have. I mean, like instead though, Billy Napier is so insistent on, on this balance, this balance concept. And mm-hmm. man, even Travis Etienne, brother of Trevor, who you might've heard of, did a couple of things at Clemson, doing a couple of things with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Not great when he's tweeting out his frustration, run the damn ball, just hand it off one time. And then don't you know it? His little brother just pops a big touchdown run because He's really good, and Trevor Etienne and Montreal Johnson are good, and they need to get the football. Like On top of that, this was the prime opportunity. Napier whiffed on this. He absolutely whiffed on this. This was the prime opportunity to say, oh, wait, we don't, we don't like our quarterback depth? We don't, I don't care. This, this is a regular season finale. I'm letting my mobile quarterback feast. I want to let him run. He's going to get a month to be able to have a break to deal with whatever bumps and bruises he gets. Let him run. Think 2018 Joe Burrow at Texas A&M. Think 2021 Will Levis at Louisville. He do that to me on this day. Sorry. I'm sorry, man. <laughs> anyway. but that, that was a key game for Burrow, though. It was kind of a key game. And he did kind of talk about how important that was to recognize that he could use his legs and that he had the freedom to be able to do that. So it all worked out for him, I think. Yeah. Um But as we saw all year, it just felt like Napier really wanted to try and get some of those chunk plays with the passing game instead of recognizing that they had a clear chance to keep the Florida State offense off the field if they could run the football. Because we knew the Florida defense was going to have issues, right? (laughs) They couldn't contain Mike Wright. They weren't going to contain Jordan Travis. And don't you know it, I think unofficially he broke 18 sack attempts in this game. Oh my gosh, that one play, man, was like one of the I, 
<laughs> yeah i that was literally like you know we try to not be too like grandiose about stuff that was one of the most insane like escapability by a quarterback plays i've ever seen in my life awesome. i mean say what you will these florida players are you know, four-star athletes best player in their high school's history the fact that he was able to make like nine guy break nine different tackles some guys might have got broken twice that was one of the craziest plays i've ever seen in my life he needs the stetson goal line shimmy he needs that because he kept sliding. It was like a half slide. Is he sliding? Is he avoiding the contact? It looks like more like he was avoiding the contact, but not officially sliding. It was one of these weird, awkward spots. They would have to review it every single time. He might have just been gassed from trying to escape all these different guys. And he's just like, all right, I'm done. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. man, you, you have a half more guard to be able to get across the goal line here. <laughs> one one Stetson shimmy and he would have been good. But nonetheless, Facts. incredible. He was really, really good. Uh it felt like Florida State was going to run away with it at one point. It really did. Mm-hmm. Florida deserves credit for being able to fight back into this game, at least getting a chance to have a potential game-winning drive. You know that Billy Napier would have gone for two in that spot. The officiating on that last drive was putrid. It was this bad. This is the worst officiating by college football weekend so, I've ever seen in my life. Piv- like in pivotal moments, maybe not for the course of like the entire game, but like in these very crucial spots where mm-hmm. the announcing crew – with Brock by with Brock Osweiler breaking this down. And um I know Florida I loved fans, him by the way. He was an absolute treat. He was just like me out there. <laughs> you're you're in the minority with that one. Uh he is not well liked in in Gainesville. I can say that with confidence. Um uh-huh. yeah, he had some he had some tough moments, I think, in this game, but I, I'm always kind of like I always get frustrated when there's the former NFL guy who gets promoted to kind of a big time spot when they haven't right. done this before. And I'm always like, gosh, I know I know so many people in this business who mm-hmm. have shown that they are better than than that already. And I thought some of his lack of awareness was kind of frustrating to listen to. But nonetheless, he's got yeah. a lot of time to be able to figure that. But the 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 thing that frustrated me was the the DPI that kept the game alive on Florida's last drive, right? Right. In my opinion, bad call. Um, yeah, you can kind of look at the replay. Did he hook his arm? Did he not hook his arm? But why did they make that call? The holding call on the play before it, where Anthony Richardson picked up a first down with his legs, mm-hmm. that they they show they show the replay, and you're like, wait, where's the hold? Did they just call this on the wrong number? Like there wasn't a hold. And like, okay, it was a makeup call. <laughs> the DPI was oh, a yes. makeup call, 100 percent Like, and then the missed face mask on the Richardson, you know, last ditch heave, like how do you miss that in that spot? Like, what else are you looking at? It's the quarterback with the football is trying to make a last second throw and you can't see a very clear face mask, like in the open field. Like that was just horrible. But yeah, no, to your point, bro, dude came off the edge completely unblocked. And like, okay, pass interference is ultimately subjective. Whatever you say, pass interference, every call, every crew calls it differently. And I just yeah. always say, try to keep it consistent, whatever a face mask or a face mask. <laughs> yeah. like, you just can't grab somebody's face mask. That's just the rule. Like, I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I just don't know what they were looking at at all. Uh, I don't think Anthony Richardson, the guy who went 36 minutes without a completion. Um, I don't think he was about to uncork a touchdown in an obvious passing situation with, yeah. Like five foot eleven, Ricky Pearsall is his go-to guy. Um, just didn't necessarily think that was a spot that he was going to thrive. But I get if I'm a Florida fan, I would be frustrated to see some of that play out. And instead, you lose this game. The winning streak against Florida State is over. Florida is six and six going into bowl season. A very mediocre year one for Billy Napier that had some really nice highs 
And probably the highest high was that Utah win. Tough to kind of replicate that with the juice that was in the swamp opening night. But obviously, you have those frustrating losses. You lose to Kentucky at home. You lose to Vandy on the road. And you're kind of looking around going, oh, man. And even like almost losing that game to a USF team that won one game. I mean, ugh, that, that that did not age very well at all. But yeah, I mean, same regular season record as last year, albeit with a team that was probably dealt a more difficult schedule because you had Utah at home and then obviously a much improved Florida State team on the road. Electric atmosphere. That was cool to see the doke like that, man. That place was loud. Like, oh, man, that's to me, it's it's fun to see. I'm not I am not the guy that says college football is better when this team is good, but I do love it when we see venues like that that kind of get that juice back. And even seeing Kyle Field get that juice <laughs> back after the UMass game in which nobody was at. Like I, I support that all day, every day. But Florida's got a very flawed roster right now. They need to hit the transfer portal hard for front seven guys. They do not have those dudes. And maybe seeing Jordan they have Travis one, an absolute king. Yes, they, they do. Yes, they do. But Desmond Watson, as great as he is, he is our favorite thick king. He ain't running down Jordan Travis in yeah. in this life, in the next life. That that's not his skill set. He's great against the run. He's fun. Like he's trying to you try and see some of these goal line sets that they're I running. Love that goal line, bro. They kept saying he squats seven hundred pounds. I was like, please run up the middle again. I gotta see this happen. Yeah, like like they, they keep bringing up his weightlifting numbers just over and over and over again. We're like, we get it. We take one look at the guy. We know he's got the thickest lower half I've ever seen on a football player. Yeah, show show me somebody with a thicker lower half. Than that dude. I mean, it's unbelievable. And I, I I hope that he makes a ton in NIL money. I would think that he probably will. But yeah, um, Florida's probably going to start as like a fringe top 25 team next year. But mm-hmm. just based on the reputation, they'll probably do really well in the transfer portal, all these things. We'll kind of wait and see the way that it plays out with Richardson. We don't know as of this recording. But I mean, they're probably losing their best player on both sides of the ball, which Osiris Torrance, Ventro Miller, mm-hmm. these guys are gone. So I, I'm assuming Torrance is gone. That's it's not, it's not a given that you're all of a sudden just going to snap your fingers and you're just competing in the East. And right. this game would have kind of skewed some of those expectations, but instead Florida had a lot of the same issues that we saw play out during the regular season. Yeah, man. We talked about it in the preview and that FSU was just kind of a team that was a little bit further along in the process. And I think this game showed that pretty well, you know, neither team got going in the passing game. Um, and I don't think anybody would call Jordan Travis a better runner than Anthony Richardson, but at the end of the day, exactly to your point, man, I think he is. I actually, you know what? I think I, I, that's, that's a, that's a, that's a hot take. I did a breakdown, like four of Richardson's runs accounted for like 231 rushing yards His four longest runs of the year. And if you kind of look at it outside of that, he's not a move the chains runner. That's not like really his skill set, whereas Travis kind of is. So I like it just, I'm not saying he's got more upside. Richardson still hits the home run plays better than Travis says, but just in terms of like a move the chains, real reliable element of your offense. And maybe some of that was like Richardson dealing with foot injuries and whatnot. I think I would probably take Travis as a runner. Yeah, I mean, well, let's say it like this. That ultimately comes down to coaching because in terms of talent, mm. Richardson is certainly a more talented runner. Fair. And I think that exactly circles back around to the fact that, you know, both of these guys have the passing game not totally going. Both guys under 50% and kind of significantly so. <sighs> and yet, you know, Nor- <laughs> Norvell looked around and he said, okay, what can we do well here? Let's get Jordan Travis moving. You know what I'm saying? And when, you know, he ran for two touchdowns. He was out there, you know, making plays, keeping the plays alive 
on with his legs. And to your point, Richardson, I mean, just did did not do the same thing. And and we keep saying it about Billy Napier that hey, bro, sometimes you don't have to be balanced. It's fine. Like you seriously yeah. sometimes have three good rushing threats. And like, dude, look at what the Ravens did whenever Lamar won the MVP. It's like, yeah, they threw the ball a bit, but their passing attempts were way down. But when they hit those passes, they were bomb. They were darts. They were touchdowns. And so, um, Lamar got the forty three touchdowns. It wasn't because he wasn't throwing the ball. It was because he was throwing the ball when it fit his offense. Justin Fields with the Bears right now. I'm just saying. You know, young, you know, former future MVP. Wow, Justin Fields. No, he's going, bro. I love him. I've always loved him. But point being, yeah, that's what it is. You gotta you gotta play to your quarterback strengths. And I think that that's not something that Billy Napier has ever done. He has run his offense his way and has not moved to the personnel. And to your point, yeah, I mean, there are three Florida players that caught a pass. I didn't know they had five receivers missing. Why are you throwing the ball? (laughs) Why are you throwing the ball? You have 10 straight, 11 straight incompletions. At that point, it's like, hey, bro, let's run like a little bubble screen, maybe get him going. But after that, let's kind of like run some mesh point plays, make them tackle him. Because ultimately, tackling Anthony Richardson is still very hard, and they should have leaned on that in a way that FSU did. And I do think that was the difference in the game. Look at Auburn down the stretch. Auburn with Cadillac yeah. last month of the season, all of a sudden they're they're one of the three or four best rushing offenses in the country, and they look like the best version of themselves because they mm-hmm. said, "All right, we don't really care that we can't throw a forward pass. What we're just gonna we're just gonna have Robbie Ashford with these design runs. We're gonna get Jarquez Jarquez Hunter involved. Mm-hmm. We're obviously gonna get Tank involved. We don't care. We'll be predictable. That's fine. You're still trying Tackle to have these to boys." Stay. Tackle, yeah, try it. See how it works. Yeah. Like, say what you, I know you're not a Kyle Shanahan guy, but like they pretty much say, hey, we're going to be predictable. This is, we think that we can have enough diversity in our rushing attack. We have an offensive line that we trust. We trust these run game concepts and we're going to beat you with it. And there's, it's okay to do that sometimes. And like Florida is still not quite mastering that concept. And I thought that was a, uh, just a the key difference in a game like this, a very winnable game, I thought for Florida with the way that they showed up. But yes, six and six regular season. I wouldn't say it's two programs going in opposite directions. They're just two programs at different stages right now with their current head coaches. Okay, Georgia barely uh, passes the threshold of what's a nice way to say this. I think a few things could be true at the same time. Let me start over with that because Georgia wins a game against Georgia Tech in which they win by 23 points and nothing is, this isn't the type of, of game that the selection committee is realistically going to look at and break down and decipher. What does this mean? What does this mean? But a few things could be true at the same time. If you watched Georgia grind out a win that was too close for comfort for too long, in my opinion, you were probably concerned about the offense and why the passing game was just so efficient. I, I think that's fair within the confines of this game. If Georgia fails to win a national championship, the lack of guys who can get separation in the passing game, I think will probably be one of the big reasons why, right? I'm, I I think that's okay to say, but I've also seen this movie before. Yeah. Saw it with Kent State, saw it with Mizzou, and now with Georgia Tech. Slow starts, they figured it out. In the games that Georgia has had to show up ready to go, top five, top 10 competition, something like that, they have done that, right? Tennessee, obviously, Mm -hmm. Oregon. All that's left for Georgia are those games. Those, we have no reason not to get up for that. And even if you want to say, well, Georgia's got the, 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 got a playoff bid probably locked up already going into the SEC championship. You know, they really need it, whatever. Um, I'm going to say after the way that, things played out last year with the Bama loss that there's there's still a whole lot of motivation for Kirby Smart to make sure that that type of game doesn't happen for a Georgia team that goes 12 and 0. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to say and that's a little spoiler alert here. I have confidence that Georgia is going to be ready in the SEC Championship. Um 
I, I don't want to totally take credit from Georgia Tech because last week they did really well against Drake May and they held that UNC offense without a point in the second half. And against Stetson, I mean, he had a mostly quiet day. He had the 78-yarder to McIntosh, but outside of that, 17 attempts for 57 passing yards. Like, that's... Mm. And one of those was the, the touchdown pass to Brock Bowers, where he gets that shoestring grab, unconfirmed human being. I mean, just ridiculous that he does things like that. Um, but what I'm not going to do here, and this is the, this is the reason I bring this up. I promise I had a point. <laughs> I'm not going to convince myself that Georgia is suddenly going to be super vulnerable just because of what we saw against Georgia Tech. I'm not. Mm-hmm. I, I think the offensive game plan will have more downfield shots in the SEC championship playoff. And I think it's going to have a bit more diversity moving forward. It's still pretty amazing though, to think Georgia went 12 and 0 again, again. And we shouldn't take that for granted. I asked the question on Twitter before the LSU loss. So I guess we can kind of take Brian Kelly out of this conversation, although he was very much firmly in it middle Mm -hmm. of uh, middle of Saturday afternoon, national coach of the year, Herbie, Mm -hmm. Sonny Dykes, Jim Harbaugh, Jonathan Smith deserves consideration. What he did at Oregon state, Willie Fritz, maybe what he did at Tulane deserves some consideration as well. Mm-hmm. Sonny Dykes probably, probably the leader in the clubhouse, but I can make a really good case for Kirby. I could. Mm-hmm. The SEC coach of the year discussion is going to be really, really interesting. I think who would be your vote of, of those guys? I think it's gotta be Sonny Dykes. Honestly, I definitely see your point as well, but it's just, you know, you, you come out of a team with TC, there's lost in the woods for like, you know, a while after Gary Patterson, he completely turned it around. Um, I think Kirby, obviously like I'll give him his flowers. I think he obviously deserved it last year. Um, But yeah, I think that, I think it's not a knock on Kirby. It's a presence of a thing that we've like pretty much never seen before. I mean, tell, tell me if I'm wrong, but for a guy to do that, that quickly be undefeated, be a lock in the college football playoff, assuming they beat like whoever is in their conference championship game I'm sure it's, I think it's K- K-State again but yeah assuming they beat K-State again that, that's pretty I'm gonna say unprecedented and I always go towards stuff like that Gus, with, um, Gus 2013 but that's pre-playoff era so yeah yeah right no pre-playoff era and then also Gus did lose a game right true Sonny true defeat, yeah yeah no that's that's a fair point I would have no problem whatsoever with Sonny Dykes uh, winning national coach of the year but I do think that Kirby Kirby might have established himself for SEC coach of the year and Shane Beamer could also be part of the SEC coach of the year conversation with these last two weeks as well Um, Georgia should still have a really favorable shot for the number one overall seed if they beat LSU Mm -hmm. Tuesday's ranking is going to be so telling in a variety of ways it Mm -hmm. really will because of that you know, if there's a, there are some people out there like RJ Young that think just because Georgia played an FCS team that all of a sudden that just negates their entire resume, even though it's somehow like pretty significantly better than Michigan's in my opinion. But there are still people out there that believe that that's an actual take to have, and that all of a sudden beating Ohio State the way that Michigan did, which was very impressive, is going to make Michigan more worthy of Georgia than the number one overall seed. And we're supposed to act like what happened in Miami shouldn't be taken into account. It's hard for me not to. It right. really is. Um, but yeah, I think the selection committee really values that resume. And Tuesday's ranking show, man, you say what you want about these rankings. There yep. will be some eyeballs on that. A lot of very interested fan bases. Oh, yeah. oh boy, man. I have no idea. Uh, when I do my, my, I do a prediction column every, uh, every, it runs every Tuesday on SDS, but I basically do all my metrics and stuff on Monday and have to break all this down. I don't really know which direction I'm going to go because it's you can talk yourself into a lot of different things. Um, and we'll get to one thing that I definitely will not be talking myself into in a in a second here. But 
any uh, any other thoughts on that or or thoughts just on this this Georgia team as it approaches the postseason? Yeah, no, I think uh, to your point, hey, handling business against a bad team before conference championship weekend cannot be uh, overstated. I think it's a hard thing to do. So I think at the end of the day, obviously, I was joking about it at halftime, but it's like, hey, you know, sometimes life just humbles you. So point being, like, I think winning is what's important at this stage. To your point, they have some really impressive wins. And, like, I'm just, you know, I'm not as worried about Michigan. I think Michigan is what they are. I don't think it really matters being number one or two because I think they're still significantly better than Michigan. To me, I'm more worried about, like, you know, if, you, if you're going to count out Georgia for playing an FCS team, how about we count out Ohio State for playing like an FCS team in the one actual game they actually have to prepare for twice yeah. in a row? I think that's kind of telling. I think that when you have way better talent than the other guys and they beat you at home like on at their place last year, and it was like, oh, we'll see. That's what happens when the crowd gets involved and they go to Columbus and smack you again. And this ridiculous noon time slot either way it's like well, always do it do yeah it? they always do it it's yeah. no 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 no. i know but it's ridiculous let's be honest like it's like yeah. what's the advantage of playing in the cold with like whatever one has to get hammered by 8 a.m up there because it's 11 but anyway so point being i just i don't see like I, I i was waiting what i said was i was rooting against a good game and i do think michigan blew them out i think that it's insane how ohio state was completely outmatched on the outside um like as far as the dbs so yeah i think i think we hopefully get that one big 10 team out unless it puts out Batman, in which case ohio state's awesome yeah right <laughs> you're, you're, <laughs> uh, thoughts on that in a second here uh yeah, the yeah. one the one thing that i that I would that i think is interesting with that conversation too as well is like number one seed versus number two seed remember that first round, if you get the number one seed in your Georgia, you get to play in Atlanta. That's yeah. that's that's a nice little thing to have in your back pocket. And they've actually had some issues at Mercedes Benz. I was about to say, what's their record in Atlanta? Is that a good thing? It's yeah. I mean, <laughs> you can kind of go both ways with that. Obviously, you would feel like you have the home dominated crowd in an atmosphere like that, but still um something that I think is very much on the table for that number one overall seed. Okay. Iron Bowl. Mm-hmm. If that muff punt was called properly clearly was not touched by an Auburn player and Cadillac talking in the post game about like, can I get fined if I criticize the officiating? Um, if I'm not saying Auburn wins this football game, they don't win this football game. But if that had been called correctly when it's 28 to 14 and Auburn is set to take over with a couple minutes left and all of a sudden it goes Bama's way and then Bama gets that touchdown, it kind of blows that game out. It takes away, you know, Auburn with that style, they weren't going to be able to come back from a three touchdown deficit. Not saying that, but if that had been called correctly, we would have gotten a much more entertaining down-to-the-wire Iron Bowl. And said we didn't. It still had a lot of those fun chunk plays. The only other intrigue, though, was whether or not Bama was going to cover minus 21 and a half. <laughs> and they that was totally lost on Gary, who instead decided <laughs> that his point that he was going to bring up when Bama scores that garbage-time touchdown He says that when the selection committee breaks these games down in three weeks or two weeks, that it would see a late score like that, and that would matter for Alabama. (sighs) I've tried to defend Gary at certain points when I think people are unfair, but goodness gracious. I, I not by much. <laughs> You're a more stand-up man than me because I wouldn't even do that. <laughs> My eye roll was as big as it's ever been listening to listening to that. Um why he thinks that 
First of all, don't take your playoff advice about the way that the selection committee goes about their business when you have an announcer telling you that this is going to be decided in three weeks when it's actually going to be decided in eight days. Thank you, Gary, for not having the awareness of when that happens because it doesn't happen on CBS Airwaves. Thank you for also trying to correct yourself and be like, oh, two weeks. No, not two weeks, eight days. Okay, that's the way this works after conference championship weekend. I know this isn't your forte. I know that's not what you do still. If you actually think that the selection committee is looking at the point differential, seven points between Bama winning a game against a five and six Auburn team and think that's going to make or break Alabama's playoff chances, get out of here. Get out of here. I mean, you know, before that touchdown, we weren't really sure if Nick Saban was for real. Oh, um, my but God. But I think that's the one that really cemented his legacy as a guy that could win in the postseason. <laughs> what are we doing? And like Jenny Dell, when she's asking Saban after the game, if he thought his team was worthy of getting into the field, even Saban looked a little bit surprised there. And then he kind of corrected himself and was like, yeah, because you don't want to say we're actually not considering that at all because we think we're hoping just to go to a Sugar Bowl. I like, uh, Alabama is not a playoff team. And I can't believe that I have to explain this, but based on the conversations that I'm seeing on Twitter, and it's not just my guy, Aaron Murray, that I'm getting into this about, but it's other people who are actually suggesting, I was going to sneak its way into the field. I have to say this again. Do we really think that the first ever two lost team to make the field nine years of the playoff system, by the way, do we really think that the first two loss team is going to be a two loss non-division champ who doesn't have a single win against a team with fewer than four losses, like an Alabama team who had just three wins against power five teams with winning records. An Alabama team who was in one score games in the fourth quarter, six of nine times against Power Five competition. We think that's the two loss team who breaks through. Come, come on. And so many people seem to just look at the blowout Ohio State loss and the Clemson loss and say, okay, now it's Alabama. Alabama's going to sneak in, ignoring the fact that Ohio State is still sitting there with one loss. And if this comes down to USC versus Ohio State, give me USC all day, every day. Not debating that. USC has a chance to be able to do something here as a one-loss Pac-12 champ if they're able to get that and bump Ohio State out. 100% on board with that. Mm-hmm. But we're ignoring the fact that TCU, Michigan, Georgia, all going into conference championship weekend undefeated. Mm-hmm. They're going to have a max of one loss. This notion that like, oh, TCU or Michigan, if like if TCU loses, they're going to be out of the field. Like, what? Instead of Bama, what what are we what are we talking about here? What are we doing? I didn't even mention USC because they're playing really well and they have that backloaded schedule. We've been hard on USC. I've been hard on Caleb Williams, but what they've done really well. We thought they would lose one of these games, and buddy, have they not? They haven't. And you know what? If they win the Pac-12 championship, yeah, there's no doubt about it. And if they don't, Ohio State, they're not playing next week. So what mm-hmm. what are what are we doing here? I've got people saying that Ohio State doesn't deserve any consideration just because they got blown out at home against Michigan, which again, if it's Ohio State versus USC, a one-loss USC team, this isn't this isn't a discussion. Okay, that's not the discussion. But if it's Ohio State versus Bama, it's Ohio State. Like, come on. And if your entire argument is, but what about the two close losses? Then tell me again about the three Alabama wins that were decided either either on a field goal with 10 seconds left or a red zone defensive stand in the final minute, because you have to consider those as well. And if we're just going to dismiss all of that and say, screw it, put Bama in, 
with this resume, this thin of a resume, like people will riot. You talk about it, it being good for the sport to not have the likes of Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, Oklahoma, teams that have accounted for 21 of the 32 playoff spots. You talk about what it would mean nationally to not have those teams, any of those teams in the playoff for the first time, and then to just say, oh, you know what, screw it, we're just going to put Bama in anyways. Mm-hmm. And to, to your point, those two losses are unfortunately looking the worst by the week because Tennessee got boat raced by South Carolina and LSU got boat raced by AM. So it's not like these are like number five and six like they were when that happened. They're also the two best teams in their schedule. Yeah, exactly. Like, like, but but again, it's like you can't even make the argument where it's like, oh, well, see, they were just a little bit worse. It's like these teams actually, you can catch these teams if you play them right. Like, yeah. Yeah. I just, I, I just don't buy it. I don't buy it at all. But as for this game, um, it's weird that I truly think Auburn kind of maxed out in this last month. Isn't like this was the best version of the, of this team that Brian Harson had. Right. Mm-hmm. And if they had been this team all year, like the team who averaged what, like 270 rushing yards, they stopped the run pretty well. Mm-hmm. I think they would have been like seven and five, yeah. maybe eight and four. I, I don't know. Depending on the late game execution, which Lord knows that wasn't Brian Harson's forte. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> That's the thing too. It's like they left a lot of wins on the table that were just like, oh, so you just they could have beaten LSU. Honestly, it's like you guys just don't want to play in the second half. Okay, cool. So maybe eight and four. Maybe this Auburn team, even one dimensional on offense, could have been eight and four. But yeah, I mean, it didn't really matter that they couldn't throw a forward pass all month. Um, it doesn't matter. Hugh Freeze can fix that. Yeah. <laughs> He, yeah, he exactly. And I think, yeah, at the end of the day, that's the classic what Brian Harson was bad at, which is what we talked about a little bit with Napier. It's like when you're hardheaded and you want to run your system and versus like not looking at your personnel. Kind of like Williams pulled up and he's like, hey, I know Robbie Ashford. I know what he's good at. He's a dynamic runner. You talk about him and Jaden and probably Richardson as like your best three runners as quarterbacks as the SEC like this year. And it's like, well, that's what we're good at. That's what our X factor is in offense. So why are we going to sit out here and try to do the thing with, you know, uh, other quarterbacks? Why are we going to try to do all this stuff with, you know, and I mean, flashback to them getting Calzada months ago and thinking that that you know like they've just it, it, harson saw the answer right in front of him and that you were never going to have a good passing offense and you should have just leaned right into that rushing attack like we've been talking about all year i know again i know it's easy to stop guess what else is easy to stop robbie ashford or, or any of these quarterbacks throwing out of the shotgun so yeah. yeah i think that they've seen what they're good at and they can take that in the next year obviously the backs aren't all going to be back or anything and obviously you know we'll, we'll see where it goes at quarterback maybe if it is Hugh Freeze, he brings in a guy that is a little bit more but Ooh. you saw his success at liberty with kind of a similar quarterback in Malik willis so we'll see i would love to see robbie ashford jarquez <laughs> hunter like mm-hmm. running a Hugh Freeze offense, that, that's 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 something. That's intriguing. We can get we can get on board with that. That's 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 a frisky group that I would that I would not mind seeing. I'm assuming Tank is off to the NFL. I, that's yeah. I wouldn't put your joints through that again, man. Yeah, I I would not either. I mean, three years as a starter in the SEC, like go get your money. Yeah. You, you've you've put up with some stuff uh, as a dude who deserve better <laughs> captain. Yeah. I think. Um, oh, yeah. yeah, go get your money in the NFL. Will on the Alabama side, both your mom and my wife notice something during a game in which Alabama's passing game looked really good. <laughs> what was that, Connor? <laughs> Bryce just never had with this team the guys who could get open when the play broke down. And Bryce probably should have been on the dudes who deserve better team. Like Weirdly, yes. Yep. Isn't that isn't that weird that we're still having this, this discussion? Because he makes some unbelievable plays in this game, and the passing game did actually look good. But then you kind of see some of the replays of this where the play would break down, and you're just like, these Alabama receivers would just kind of drift instead of coming back to the football or instead of making that key cut or recognizing that the quarterback is in trouble. They just kind of fade and look around. And you're just like, mm-hmm. you're not hey, helping bro, your Have guy. you never seen this man play quarterback? Like, I feel like literally like 
any like random SEC receiver could get open because he literally will find you no matter where you are. Like you could be sitting in the stands selling popcorn. Oh, there's the ball. It's right on time. Like, yeah. Look at it. And and both yeah, both your mom and and my wife noticed those those two things of like he doesn't have as much help as he probably should. And and they yeah. can recognize that that a guy who has that kind of presence. And we've talked about that a lot, of course, but um, it was cool seeing Bryce get kind of emotional afterwards and what's mm-hmm. very likely going to be his last home game at Alabama, kind of unique for Alabama players to be able to get that kind of a send off because usually it's uh, like win a national title or losing the playoff, losing a national championship and players mm-hmm. on senior day are kind of more focused on that. But it's, it seemed like they were able to kind of, soak all of it in in the iron bowl which was which was cool to be able to i mean very rare do we talk about alabama in that light but mm-hmm. nonetheless win number 10 15 consecutive seasons of 10 wins mm-hmm. man that is in this era that is so freaking hard that mm-hmm. is so hard to be able to do and Saban makes it look easy he does i'm not dismissing this dynasty and assuming it's a non-playoff bowl game Again, that's what I'm assuming. I'm really interested in in kind of getting to see which guys play because I remember being there uh, at the Citrus Bowl 2019 when they just clubbed Michigan. And I thought that game really mattered for for Mac Jones and kind of setting the foundation for the 2020 season he had. It'll be interesting to see kind of like, oh, is Jalen Milrow going to be kind of the starter in the bowl game? Is Bryce Young going to play? Who are these other guys that get a chance to step up? So just something to kind of keep in mind. Um, Any other Auburn or any other Bama thoughts before I add one more thing on Cadillac here? Yeah, to your point, I just think that it's funny that we're seeing this as a Bama team that has like struggled or is uh, underperformed. I think part of that, to our point, is about Bryce Young being, I think, the best Bama quarterback I've ever seen, kind of with my own two eyes. Wow. Obviously, people can look at you know whatever you know you can look at the numbers or whatever for two or Mac Jones, but if you watch these people play football, it just looks so much better when when Bryce does it. I don't know how to better explain that. Every touchdown pass is him working his butt off, and I like I said, I've never been more sure of a guy at the NFL level. And I really thought, you know what I'm saying? I had questions about two of those turned out to so far be pretty much correct. He has two great receivers right now that have helped him out, but he couldn't stay healthy. He had the kind of like an arm strength issue. Mac Jones, like same situation. He's in a perfect situation with the Patriots. I get that. But at the same time, they're not what I think Bryce Young is going to be. I think Bryce Young is going to be special. Mm-hmm. But to that point, we're talking about a bad Alabama, quote unquote, bad Alabama team. And, you know, 11 penalties still there. They just can't get out of their own way. Um, and that's what we're talking about. You know, when, you're, when your standard is what Alabama is, it's the classic, like, don't set your standard here because I'm going to hold you to that standard. Your standard for Alabama is you're going to win 11 or 12 games. And when they don't, and it's because of things like penalties, which points to coaching, then you start to say, how did we get here? And that's, you know, it's one of the most interesting seasons we've seen. And luckily for the rest of us, they've decided to not beat everybody's brains in. And now we get to talk about all these other teams. So there you go. Yes, we do. We do. <laughs> As a treat, uh, we could have a little bit of parody. Yes, the rest of the college football world rejoices when Alabama is not necessarily at that level. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, on Cadillac here, as much as I would love to see him stay on that Auburn staff forever, I've kind of done a 180 on this. I want him to run his own program. I do. And mm-hmm. maybe maybe in a few years, he will be the next guy at Auburn and he'll be an obvious guy and there will be this big coming home campaign for Cadillac and he's this up and coming coach. But I am rooting for him assuming he's not getting the Auburn job again, we're recording this, don't know at the time of this, but mm-hmm. I am rooting for him to get a group of five job instead of sticking with the new staff and getting one of those BS associate head coach titles. All right. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't want to see that. I think that gets thrown out there a lot, way too much with these former players who um, I think black head coaches get put or black assistant coaches get put in that spot a lot. And hearing Cadillac mm-hmm. talk about being a black head coach at Auburn and how, when you when you are black, you don't think about being the head coach. 
I thought that was really transparent thought. And I think, I think he's kind of right. And I think he brings up something that's not kind of right. I think he's absolutely right. I do. And I think a lot of times at some of these places where they're like, oh, we need this position coach and we we got to keep him on staff as, as the, the glue guy to kind of keep everything together. And we're, we're going to give him this associate head coach title to make him feel more important, even though we're not going to give him play calling duties or anything like that. And it's like, what, what are we really doing here? What are, what are we really doing here? I want Cadillac to succeed. I want that guy to have all the success in the world. I love what he's been able to do for his family. And I think this last month is going to set up the rest of his career. And I wish nothing but success for that guy. Like I'll endorse any school that is willing to hire him to lead that program. I will give Caddy the Joe Moorhead treatment. Okay. I will. I will. He's glad he's- of the of the decade. Glad, glad of the decade. He has earned it. Um, it was fun to watch it, him get this opportunity with this team. And I think it was very much needed for Auburn. And I'm going to miss watching Cadillac coach this Auburn team, assuming that they are not going to get to a bowl game. We'll wait and see how APR plays out. I know I keep saying that with these five and seven teams, but just something, something to keep in mind here. All right. Just something to keep in mind. Any other thoughts on Cadillac before a quick word from our friends at Underdog? No, I mean, yeah, I think that's a that's a really good takeaway in the Cadillac thing. And I like I know that you like don't love talking race because sometimes it can be a little bit touchy, but I think in this situation you're absolutely on the money. You know what I'm saying? I think it, it, I hate to say it takes courage because it takes more courage to do what Cadillac's doing, obviously, but I think it's it's a good point. And I think that you're right. And like uh, an example is like what LSU has with Frank Wilson this is a guy that's been a head coach, been all these different things, and now he's in exactly that position. And I think ultimately, you know, at the end of the day, I think the cool thing about Cadillac is whatever opportunity he wants, I think it's truly up to him. I think if he wants, if it's important to him, to be at Auburn I think that door will be open for him I think if it's important to him to go lead his own program and make his own way I think that door will be open to him um I think at the end of the day talking about former players you know we've seen what Dion has done recently at um, Jackson State and you know the way that they've been just whooping people and I, I think that that pathway is starting to become more and more clear football is always going to be the hardest one just because of how things kind of are in football I'm not going to get too deep into that but we've seen it you know in the NBA um, Willie Green is the Pelicans head coach that obviously played for the for the Hornets and he's done a really great job down there so I think that that pathway should definitely be open and like you said it's the fact that these they these pathways have to be non-traditional for coaches you know for black coaches to get a shot because you know it's very hard to you know like like around the sport to look around and see who your black ocs like dcs is a little bit different but in terms of the guys that are trusted to handle the quarterbacks it's not very common and so i think for Cadillac, he luckily, not luckily, through hard work, through his hard work of his reputation building and what he's put on tape as a coach and as a player and as a ambassador for Auburn. Like I said, if he wants to stay at Auburn, that's up to him. I think that's fine. I think it's a great path. And maybe he could wait for another job. But if he does, to your point, if he wants to go take over, uh, and, and you know, this guy's 40 years old, you know, at the end of the day, that's even an unfair comparison. Football young. Yeah, yeah, no, seriously. Like, and that's an even unfair comparison to Frank Wilson because Frank Wilson's so much older. This is a guy that could hang out at Auburn for a year or two, wait for, you know, maybe like a middle of the road, you know, Pac 12 team job and just get over there and do his thing. But yeah, I, I truly think that the best part of this Auburn season, well, you got two things if you're Auburn, right? You have your head coach of the future, whoever that will be, and it will be better than Brian Harson, no matter who it is. It could be Connor O'Gara and be better than him. And then <laughs> second, second, you found, you know, Cadillac has not even revitalized. He has springboarded his career to where it truly is up to him. You know, the, the family aspect of it, like I said, is important to him. So he can he can forge his next path. And I think if you're an Auburn fan looking at this season, you say, maybe this wasn't totally a waste. We got Robbie Ashford, we got Cadillac involved, and we got this new head coach. At least we're going somewhere. So weirdly, as a five and seven season, this is about as good vibes as you can be. About as good vibes as you could have asked for for the first two months. That, that much we know. I, I think Auburn fans will take the, the November that's been. Okay, let's take a quick break. Talking about our friends at Underdog. So you know how sports betting, it is legal, all these states like Georgia, Alabama, Florida, South Carolina. In other words, like most of the SEC states, I want to talk to you about something that is legal. 
Underdog Fantasy. You may have tried Daily Fantasy in the past, but Underdog is a new platform that's extremely popular right now. It is blowing up. They have some awesome college football contests where you can compete for real money. It's a great way to scratch that sports betting itch. We have an exclusive arrangement with Underdog right now. If you go to saturdaydownsouth.com slash underdog, you can automatically double your deposit when you join. Sign up, throw in 50 bucks. They'll throw in 50 more dollars. It's a great way to get some money to play in these contests. So what does it look like for college football? Every week you can pick higher or lower for different players. For example, just like we always talk about with our preview pods, Stetson Bennett, higher or lower, 200 passing yards. Pretty similar to sports betting player props. You can put real money on the line. And like I said, it is legal and live in states like Alabama, Georgia, Florida, Texas, et cetera. All right, so I just looked at some of the, the higher lowers on underdog. I think I'm six and four on these so far. I went one and two. Justin Jefferson was the only one who hit for me on Thanksgiving. So I'm still giving you money by doing this. Here are the ones that I like for some Monday Night Football. Uh, Deontay Johnson under 409 or <laughs> under the way under that okay. under 49 and a half receiving yards. And I'm totally not saying that as a bitter Deontay Johnson owner in fantasy who did not have him in a PPR league and just had him in a standard scoring league. And it was very frustrating. Um, and then George Pickens over 45 and a half receiving yards, the former Georgia star coming on down the stretch here. All right, that's it. Underdog's awesome. Super fun to do while you're watching college football or any other sport in your living room. You can win some real money. Go to saturdaydownsouth.com slash underdog. Take advantage of our promo where underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. Take Get $100 absolutely free. Awesome. Great deal. Go sign up. Saturdaydownsouth.com slash underdog. All right, Governor's Cup. Louisville. Just get smacked by Kentucky. I mean, <laughs> like, Kentucky just owns Louisville. Like, that's that's not bold analysis or anything, but Mark Stoops owns Scott Satterfield, fourth consecutive win by double digits that Kentucky has against Louisville, 20th consecutive win against non-SEC teams for Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Think about that. That's crazy. 20th consecutive win against non-SEC teams for Kentucky. And I know their non-conference slate is not typically very good, but that also factors in bowl games as well. Mm-hmm. Last time, the last time that Kentucky lost to a non-SEC team was Benny Snell had the BS ejection in the bowl game against Northwestern in 2017. Mm-hmm. Five years ago, a long time ago. Yeah. Um, it's weird. I, I, I don't know. Uh, it, it doesn't matter that Kentucky struggled a lot the last month, offensively especially, not really as much defensively. Louisville was the better team coming into this. And even the Malik Cunningham thing was kind of weird where he's, mm-hmm. he doesn't start, then he comes in, he's dealing with an injury, he plays. I don't know if he was like the emergency quarterback or what. It, that, that whole situation was just bizarre. Like, Did Satterfield maybe think, oh, we'll get an early lead and then we won't need to play him? I, I don't know, but it didn't work out for Louisville. Kentucky played – kind of the way that it needed to all year, which was avoid allowing those chunk plays, get pressure on the quarterback, Cadillac, capital, <laughs> Cadillac, it's been a long day, uh, capitalize on those turnovers, give your offense a short field, and make kicks. They made kicks. Mark Ruffalo was 12 of 21 coming into this one. I think that's BS. I don't think he was 12 of 21. I don't think I've seen that guy make four kicks all year, <laughs> and he made four kicks on this day. He was perfect, and that was Probably the best sign that it was going to be Kentucky's day Um, and a game in which was never really in doubt at all. I mean, Kentucky just kind of controlled the tempo in this one. See, Rod needs 231 yards, 231 rushing yards to get Benny Snell's all-time Kentucky rushing record. Mm, 
knows? Maybe they'll face like a bad run defense in a bowl game, like a certain UNC team who shouldn't be judged on a year one defense with a lot of new faces. They're almost in contention. So that's all we can hope for. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, I think um, what this game kind of drives home for Kentucky moving forward in the next few weeks, Kentucky is going to land a transfer portal quarterback. They're going to have a great sell because Dane Key Mm -hmm. and Barry and Brown, those guys and Barry and Brown talking about the transfer rumors once again, after this game, he's like, I'm not going anywhere. BBN for life. I think it was KSR who had that, but um, really nice to have a couple of promising receivers that you know you're going to be able to throw to who are proven now in the SEC on the edges and have made some great, great plays uh, for this Kentucky offense. But, yeah, probably the last time that we see Will Love, Will Levis in a Kentucky uniform, at least in Lexington, we'll kind of wait and see with the bowl game. Wouldn't surprise me if he played in a bowl game. A little bit of that Matt Corral type mindset. I was about to say, and for that same reason, I hope he does not. But yes, yeah, because the way that played out, uh, that wasn't great. But yeah, I, I wish the best for Will Levis. Maybe he'll get healthy. Maybe he'll be feeling really good, and he'll kind of get the the time off that his body clearly needs, and um, and he'll be able to to play in a bowl game. But who knows? Yeah, but this was this was dominant. Don't really have a whole lot of breakdown for this one. Just Kentucky once again just has Louisville's number until further notice. No two ways about it. No facts. Yeah, there's there's really not much to say about this. I just spent that whole time looking to see if Scott and Marcus Satterfield related are related, and the answer is no. Um, yeah. so yeah. that's just a wild common name. <laughs> yeah, it's just yeah. This is, yeah, I was about to say there's only two of those I know. But point being, yeah, I expected big things out of Cunningham. To your point, he was kind of banged up, didn't really play great. But it's it's not even fair to give that credit because even if he played well, Kentucky would have found a way to smack him again. Very dumb of me to think Louisville had a chance here. That's it. Yes. Yeah. Um. I, I, and I texted you. I'm like, look, Kentucky just owns Louisville. Like, yep. there's that's a fact. That was the entire basis of my pick. It was not yep. any any breakdown of what Kentucky's done really well. Nope, they just have their number. That's mm-hmm. that's it. Uh, let's go to the game that was played on Friday afternoon. Gosh, this feels like a lifetime ago oh, yeah. <laughs> with all the football we saw over the weekend. Arkansas-Mizzou. Mizzou is bowling to think that this Mizzou team finished with the same record as that Arkansas team. It's kind of shocking. Mm-hmm. kind of is. I mean, I had Arkansas going nine and three, finishing second in the West, and that yep, didn't prove to like them a lot. And they did not do that. Mm, just at all these games, a lot of games are just kind of sitting right there for them that they just could not put away, and mm-hmm. that that was frustrating to see that for Arkansas. But great back and forth game in which I thought Mizzou's defensive line was the difference. I, I really do. Pretty rare to see a healthy KJ and Rocket contained like that and they they were. I mean, they really were. Rocket's biggest involvement was catching a wheel route for for a touchdown. That like. Yeah. He was somewhat minimizing this. A lesser quarterback probably would have taken nine to 10 sacks in this one, but KJ got away from a lot of these plays where it looked like he was wrapped up, including the play where he threw a very rare interception. He does not throw picks and especially picks like that often mm-hmm. in his own territory, but that's what pressure does. And it kind of takes, it takes quarterback obviously out of its rhythm. And KJ just did not look like a guy that was in rhythm. The frustrating thing for this Mizzou team is that you had a ton of veterans up front and Hopper and all bang the drum team member, Isaiah McGuire. Like they, they I'm guessing they're going to be off to the NFL. I haven't done all the breakdowns on what their eligibility situations are with 2020 and the way that that plays out. That defense deserved to be better than six and six. That defense was good enough to be like eight and four, nine and three. I think I do. They, they had one bad game. The, the Tennessee game was the only uh, Kansas state. Okay. Um, Two bad games. That's yeah. it. <laughs> Against like very good teams. Like again, Kansas State's probably representing in the Big 12. So yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, only SEC team to hit 28 points against them was was Tennessee, who was number one in America. So again, um, I think we've 
pretty we, we've pretty vocally supported uh Blake Baker and him deserving that extension doesn't mean that he's absolutely locked in um we'll kind of wait and see if he gets interest to go to a bigger a bigger job if somebody's going to poach him to be a coordinator somewhere else that would be a very tough setback for drink I think but um Brady Cook let's talk about this for a second here I don't think that he's locked in as QB one of the future and don't get a twist like his legs were great in this game. Mm-hmm. They were great. I I know that Rick Neuheisel basically adopted him in this game. And uh, he thought like that's just his son now, the way that he spoke about him. Yeah. But he kept bringing up this late season turnaround. And I'm like, they played New Mexico State last week. Okay. Like, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. You want me to be on board with that? I love Cook's legs. But in 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 year four, that's what next year will be. I don't think Drink can afford to just hope that Brady Cook in year four in his system. So remember, that's a key part of this. Mm-hmm. I don't think that Drink can hope that he turns into a decent SEC starter just because he had a nice rushing day against a bad Arkansas defense. I don't think his upside is worth it if I'm Drink because four years of mediocrity isn't the goal at any Power 5 program with the potential money to be made. And if Drink doesn't take another step next year, that's his reality with a new boss. Okay, mm-hmm. But here's the good news. You don't really have that Tyler Beatty replacement all year. The offense was very frustrating, and yet you went bowling after a year when there was really no, like outside of the Tennessee game, there was no other blowout in SEC play, which that's good. And you're kind of thinking to yourself, all right, if Drink can get an offensive play caller, he keeps Blake Baker on staff, keep Luther Burden on board. He had a touchdown in this game. Nice move in space. Uh, If he can do those things, get a portal quarterback, like who knows, Mizzou? Brisky next year, uh, you're at least selling yourself on that possibility and you're not dealing with the reality of five and seven. And that's what yes. winning this game does for you. That's good. No, hundred percent. And like just a random quick tangent is about, you know, like I talked about this specifically with Miami fans. So I was talking about Florida and be real with yourself. Again, Miami fans told themselves that Manny Diaz was bad. He's amazing at Penn state. They told themselves that like Baker was bad. He's been amazing at LSU and at Mizzou. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you just like, Sometimes you got to be real and just think maybe we're the problem because these guys have both been awesome. And then, yeah, to your point, this is going to sound like kind of a bummer move about Mizzou. I'm sorry about that. But I said in this game, I wanted this to be a clear sign that what they were doing was not working and they needed to hire an OC. They needed to change at quarterback. They needed to do all that. Well, when you have Brady Cook run for 140 and a touchdown and outrun Rocket Sanders in a game, I mean, okay. Like, it's just, I, like I said, I don't want to be a hater, but I'm exactly on your page, which is just like, hey, you need to take this as you guys are ready to play and give yourself a little bit credit off of that but don't then say exactly what you just said because that's where you get in trouble college football is such a narrative-based sport it's like we turned it around again we'll see the bowl game whatever but i don't think they turned it around i think they played an arkansas team that probably is going to end up firing barry odom has the worst one of the Mm. worst defenses on a week-to-week basis they've had some decent defensive showings but on a week-to-week basis in the sec probably i mean even then these blades okay sometimes so like in big games and, and based on expectation and talent level this is just a very bad arkansas defense so i don't want i hope that mizzou doesn't waste a year going oh we figured it out we're all good keep everything the same okay let's talk you bring up a key point on the arkansas side changes are coming they are um we don't know what those changes are as of this recording this team was supposed to have new year's six bowl upside and mm-hmm. you've got coordinators in year three you've got a returning starting quarterback you hit in a couple of key spots in the transfer portal. And, and I thought Drew Sanders and being able to get Jaden Hazelwood, I, I thought those were, and Matt Landers as well, I thought those were really nice mm-hmm. transfer portal evaluation moves that you made for your team. 
you you have a clear offensive identity. You've got a veteran offensive line coached by Sam Pittman. Mm-hmm. Like two of your three best defensive players were returning, and obviously Jalen Catalan goes out in the season opener, and you're six and six. That's <clears throat> that's changes are coming. And I'm not saying Pittman's getting fired. Like, don't. There are Arkansas fans very frustrated on a certain Friday afternoon. I don't know if they got back into their their extra supply of alcohol on Thursday that was left over. But man, like, there were some Arkansas fans calling for Sam Pittman's head. I'm like, all right, that's that's insane. that's not the move. Um, but this is a very pivotal juncture for Sam Pittman because it's one thing to just bang the drum for your coordinators to get extensions and to go to your boss Hunter Yurichek and say. We need to make sure that Barry Odom is happy. I don't want him leaving for another coordinator job. I don't want Kendall Bryles leaving for another coordinator job. That's easier than making a decision after a year like this to say, after three years, are we progressing? Are we taking that next step forward? And are we doing everything that we can to put our team in contention to compete in this division in a conference that is about to be a super conference, a 16-team super conference, are we setting ourselves up for success or failure? Am I just making these decisions based on the relationships that I have or based on the results that we're seeing on the field? And that is a tough thing to evaluate for a people person like Sam Pittman. Mm -hmm. The market for a really good OC is there, okay? And if you're Arkansas... I, I think Kendall Bryles is on the way out. I do. I think that's the move that Sam Pittman makes. And he gives Barry Odom the loyalty that he has shown Barry Odom, even though their defense was wildly disappointing this year. I think he gives Barry Odom a figure it out type season. And that could blow up in his face. And we could be talking about it like Dan Mullen bringing back Todd Grantham. We could. Or alternatively, he could see that that rewarded. And we've seen coordinators who get that patience from their head coach rewarded. But I think you can make a move to get an OC and you can give them autonomy. And you know that you're, in theory, going to have Rocket Sanders back. You know that the offensive line should be really good despite some of the inconsistency that we saw down the stretch. You still feel like, all right, I've got Sam Pittman to take care of my big dudes in the trenches, right? So if I'm a play caller... I can go into Arkansas and have a very favorable situation. We'll wait and see what plays out with KJ Jefferson decision, which is one of the more fascinating quarterback NFL decisions that we'll see. Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't think you need to say, Hey, we're running an up-tempo spread. If you're selling this to a new coordinator, despite that, that like that's the system that your team is familiar with. I don't think that in order to maximize Rocket Sanders' abilities, you need to absolutely have that scheme. Because Mike Leach is the only guy out here in the year 2022 that's totally ignoring running backs. <laughs> not At least in the ground. on Friday. Yeah, not on Friday. Friday. Or Thursday, yeah. He gets crazy for that. when you run the ball at Mississippi State, how effective it can be. Anyway. <laughs> what a concept. Uh, just a couple of OC names to keep in mind. I would love to see Kevin Johns the Duke offensive coordinator who has had a great year working under Mike Elko, eight and four Mike Elko. How about that? Friend of the program. Um, love mm-hmm. to see that what Duke's doing, but they of course are getting like 12 people to show up for their games. Kevin John's very well traveled OC could work really well at a place like Arkansas personally though. And this is the home run swing for the fences move that I would love to see Pat, Sam Pittman pull off, throw 2 million bucks at Tom Herman. Hmm. You get his recruiting ties in the state of Texas, which is obviously very important to be able to win at Arkansas. If I'm Pittman, I would love to see Tom Herman on my sideline, even with that ego, 
And Sam put Sam Pittman puts his ego at the door. He does, and he empowers oh, yeah. his assistants. We talk about that. That's that's key. There are very, I don't know that there are a whole lot of head coaches that Tom Herman's going to want to work for, but the the word on the street is that he wants back in and getting back in in a place like Arkansas would be really interesting. But yeah, it's a really interesting time for Sam Pittman. It is, and he's not going to be on the hot seat going into next year because Juracek loves him. That's his guy, but there are some pivotal decisions to be made and that's what you get paid the big bucks to be able to do. Yeah, no, that's fascinating. So yeah, a couple of points off of that. I think Herman would actually be a great fit there. Um, the, me personally, I don't actually think browse is the problem. I think that obviously, like it's been a couple of years. So I know we can't like blame the old regime and everything, but I think they really do need to kind of move on because like that, the, the guys last year that were good, weren't even recruited by Pippen, the main guys. So we talk about Burks. We talk about Jefferson. Both of those guys were from the previous regime. Sure. So I would like to see him at least get a chance to, you know, bring some guys in and run with like build the program that he wants to. Um, but to your point, I do think a change is going to come. I would really love to see it be very Odom just simply because I mean, I'm not being mean like truly, but again, Mizzou fans know this. They watch, like they watched a classic Barry Odom defense. <laughs> okay. It's Brady Cook. Like, this is what he did after Pickle kind of left and he started getting his guys in there. That defense was bad at Mizzou and he was a defensive guy. And that's one of the reasons why it didn't work. That's the main reason why they drew Lock and Josh Eiffel. Yeah, that was why it didn't work. Anyway, so point being, I just think that that's kind of banging your head into a wall. Whereas, like, you know, I, I think if you end up with Kendall Bryles, I think that he's a younger guy who can at least learn a little bit. But to your point, if you can go get Tom Herman, yeah, I don't exactly know that one is a marketable upgrade from the other, but at least you can sell a little bit of hopium there and be like, hey, this is a guy that was obviously at Ohio State. You know, he's been part of a national championship team, knows how to win on that level, has is a former head coach. And to your point about the recruiting ties, I do think that's massive. So I would I started your, what you were saying, thinking, you know, I wish they would keep Bryles. But if a guy like that is available, I do think that would be an upgrade. And that's what I think you got to try and figure out on those back channels. If if you have somebody that you would feel really good about, because you can't just make that move without a plan. You you got to have a plan in place because there. Are, I think Kendall Bryles will get a Power Five OC job. I do. If he is all of a sudden on the market and you decide to part ways from him, you need to make sure that you have a plan in place. And there are at least a couple of guys that you feel like you could definitely bring on board and make mm -hmm. a good case to. So yeah, because if your time. offense takes a step or two back, you could win two or three games with this defense. I'm just being. Honest. You could. If you hire the wrong guy, buddy. Fair. <laughs> anyway. Very fair. All right. Let's wrap up with Tennessee Vandy. Whoa. Uh, <laughs> so uh, Tennessee had a get right game, not a bounce back game, but a mm -hmm. get right game. 56 to nothing. I thought Bazooka Joe was actually kind of held in check after the 60 yard bomb that he had to Jalen Hyatt the first minute of the game. You know, that's what we're here for, though. We get a one big Bazooka Joe bomb as a treat, and that's all we need as fans. It was beautiful. It was majestic, just sailing through the <laughs> night sky. And did, did, he didn't even put all all of his mustard behind that football. Like he he kind of. I, I thought at first, I'm like, oh, that's you know, that's going to go like what 40 yards based on the way that he threw it. Like, no, the ball just keeps going and going and going. <laughs> it it's never amazing. Stops. If it he never put stops. all of the mustard on it, I would be a, an eligible receiver right now in Alabama. <laughs> yes, he would. He could get it to you. He's got that kind of juice. Tennessee just punched Vandy in the mouth. Just yeah. totally just bludgeoned them. They did. Rain coming down, 362 rushing yards for the balls. Way, way better defensive showing from Tennessee week to week. I think that's an understatement. Um, it is a week to week business, though, and Tennessee was a reminder of that. Whatever reported beef went down before South Carolina looked to be the thing of a uh, thing of the past. And I heard some weird things, some weird things about what happened 
in the locker room and the divide that was going on um, between Tennessee, but they clearly got that figured out. And instead Tennessee gets to win number 10, doesn't have to sweat out a game against Vandy in which their motivation is questioned or anything like that. It was cool to see hooker on the sideline supporting his team post ACL tear. He and Joe Milton, their boys and they're, you know, they're, they're having fun with each other. It's kind of cool to see that, but you know, significant for Tennessee is the fact that you've got 10 wins in the regular season for the first time post Fulmer era significant first time hitting 10 wins in the regular season since 2003 um going to a new year six bowl is still a big deal it is in tennessee you can still win that game and potentially finish as a top five team in the country that's still on the table we'll kind of wait and see how that plays out but that would mean a lot and that's nothing to scoff at necessarily of course if you're a tennessee fan watching the way that things played out on saturday night in nashville it probably and watching what happened with, you know, with Clemson, obviously in Ohio state, it probably made it that much more frustrating to see the defense play the way that it did after what happened against South Carolina. Um, like that, that's going to stay. And even LSU losing that third game, you're kind of looking at these things. If you're a Tennessee fan, you're like, Oh my God, we're going to, that's going to be one of the most regrettable Tennessee losses for a very, very long time. It'll be interesting to see if the selection committee kind of gives the Vols a little bit of forgiveness for the South Carolina loss, which all of a sudden, I mean, it's bad. South Carolina is good. South Carolina is good. They're good. So, I, I I mean, and for the fact that like LSU, the LSU team that it pummeled now has three losses. So Tennessee is going to move ahead of LSU. Oh, yeah. So kind of where exactly do they fall in the rankings? How does that match up for their New Year's Six Bowl stuff? Because that's what ultimately decides these things. But yeah, um, just a total, total beat down. Poor Vandy misses a bowl game. Uh, well, we'll wait and see. Again, APR, APR maybe was going to help out Vandy, AM, Auburn, who knows? Um, wait I and feel see. like hopefully at least one of those teams will get because there are three of them. Yeah. <laughs> There's only but so many five and seven teams. I don't know the total number, but at least I love, I love a five and seven bowl team. The opportunity to go five and eight. We don't get that very often in college football. <laughs> we need to appreciate free stuff for going yes. five and seven. That sounds awesome. That's what college football is about, honestly. Is like those games when you're kind of passed out at Christmas and you're like, oh, sweet. Let's see it. Let's watch Auburn and some very good team from another conference that they might beat. If you, if we can't watch Tuesday at noon, uh, a random bowl game against two teams that just got smacked for the majority of the year, we're doing it wrong and college football is right. going to be missing out if that's going to be by the wayside of the new era of the playoff and all that stuff. But yeah, one of those teams could be heading towards a, a fate like that. Uh, I'm I'm blown away that the regular season's over. Well, blown away. Mm-hmm. Flew by, man. Just flew by. I still don't know what to fully make of it. A weird, weird season. Like it's still baffling to me that we're probably a USC went away from having a playoff without Alabama Clemson and Ohio state, um, all these things, but yes. Uh, so plan for this upcoming week, we're going to have a preview pod. We'll, we'll talk all things SEC championship. We'll kind of preview the playoff pod. And then on Sunday, we're going to be recording a live pod in person together. We'll break down all the playoff stuff. Um, I think that's going to be a whole lot of fun. SEC championship is going to be great. Looking forward to seeing a lot of people out there. It's going to be, it's going to be great. Yeah. Regular season's over, man. It's just so yeah, man. Oh, yeah, I'm going to be there. If you guys, you know, there, hit me up. We'll hang out. Uh, but yeah, obviously Connor's going to be there. So it's cool. That's Atlanta, man. I love Atlanta. Love it. Looking forward to it. It's going to be a really, really fun weekend. If you have not, leave us a five-star review. Subscribe. Join the Facebook group. Hear your name, Red On Air, with Figuring It Out or Bold and Brush. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.